I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of October 2021, which means it is once again time for our third annual Kyle's Killer October. Uh, basically what this means is, uh, you know, Kyle is a big fan of the Halloween season. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what? That means it's only fitting that we have him take creative control of all of our programming decisions for the month of October. Uh, so Kyle, I'll let you go ahead and take it away. What are we doing this week for Kyle's Killer October? Uh, this week we'll be covering the Rocky Horror Picture Show from 1975. Uh, this month we're going to be covering, uh, I guess the best way to describe it is horror musicals, more or less. Uh, so this seem, yeah, seems like an appropriate place to start. Uh, I forgot to write down the director of the damn movie. Uh, that would be Jim Sharman. Yeah, he's done pretty much like one other thing, I think. He, isn't, he didn't really do too much. This is his high watermark. Uh, yes, this is the uh, iconic Tim, Cor- Tim Curry role. Uh, it's also stars Susan Sarandon, Barry Bostwick, uh, Richard O'Brien, Patricia Quinn, Meatloaf, and then a couple other people. Uh, Nell Campbell and Peter something. Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, aside from our chorus, uh, the, the core cast of players is actually pretty small, yeah. which is probably why Kyle just rattled everyone off all yeah. at once. But um, this is, of course... Uh, basically the quintessential cult film mm-hmm. uh it, its reputation is known far and wide its influences are also felt far and wide like there this film has touched so many people and so many productions uh in its like 45 plus years of existence um it's pretty impressive like the the reputation that this thing carries um which makes it all the more shocking that uh this was a this was a true catching up on cinema experience for for myself uh mm-hmm being as I had never seen this uh, coming into it. Uh, this is my favorite Tim Curry movie. This is my favorite Tim Curry performance. Uh, second to, or second is definitely Colonel Richelieu, or Cardinal Richelieu from uh, Three Musketeers. <laughs> I mean, he's he's like half chub that entire film. <laughs> like, there's a reason uh, he is wearing a, ro- a long flowing robe throughout that entire film. <laughs> I mean, same could be said of this movie. I mean, for crying out oh, loud. Oh, most certainly, yes. <laughs> like, th- things are taped and or strapped down throughout this entire film. Uh, the, the, the sexual energy that the man radiates uh, in, in all of his roles, mm-hmm. most especially this one, uh, it's uncanny. Yeah. Truly uncanny. <laughs> He's, he is fantastic in this. Uh, so this movie, uh, if you've never seen the if you've never seen the movie, you've 100% seen the poster for this because not only is this an iconic role, this is an iconic movie poster. Uh, it's really just the lips with uh, really nice candy apple uh, red lipstick and of course Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is actually how the movie starts. But I was gonna give a little uh, I'll give you my background with the movie. Uh, I was not a theater kid. Uh, I had friends that were really big into theater. I just wasn't one of them. And uh, this was something that I watched with when I was about 18 with my first girlfriend. She loved the movie. And she actually took me to, if you ever get the chance, it's a lot of fun, uh, going to a theater and watching this play with everybody dressed up. It's, it's a really good time. Um, but yeah, and then I, I revisit this pretty much, uh, pretty much each year. Uh, every other year, each year if I have time uh, around Halloween. This is, a, this is a good movie to kind of like late September just to start with. Yeah, as far as I know, it's uh, it carries the reputation as being the uh, 
the longest running film in theaters like in in wide release in theaters like basically the the gag is the movie is playing somewhere all the time and has basically never stopped being shown on on some film screen uh somewhere in the world uh since since its initial release or or at least since it's a re-release in the in the midnight circuit um but yeah, uh, I unfortunately had to watch this by myself in a small apartment. Mm. I, I did wear headphones for this, being as it is a musical experience, and I wanted to get the most out of it. But um, truly, this is this is something that is meant to be experienced, you know, with with all the trimmings, with yeah. with a crowd, with the right energy. Um, I know my girlfriend uh, got to experience that uh, on her initial viewing of it so she got to see it the right way which is very important being as she's she's really into musicals and theater in general um so i did not get to see this the the right way um but yeah this this is often thought of as a halloween time type movie so it's very fitting that we're reviewing it in october it definitely starts off like that and i think that's one of one of the parts that i really like about the movie it does start off kind of like a a, like a campy horror movie um but I wanted to talk about real quick. This came out in 1975. Um, shocking, shocking because of the themes and what's happening in this movie. And I read like a, on IMDb, somebody had left a little review. They're like, "Me, this person living in like rural fucking nowhere, and um, might I, I like might be you know gay or just identify that way." And they're like, "This movie it was awesome. Like this was the best thing that happened to me, and it was a good way for people." To kind of come together and that's probably why it's been it's one of the longest running uh movies in theaters because it has such a huge following yeah for sure i mean i i describe the film as being the quintessential cult film and there's a very good reason for that and it's it it was very it was especially transgressive for its time of release 1975 was basically a different planet mm-hmm. uh, it was a, like in terms of the yes. cultural evolution in this country or otherwise like like we have come a long fucking way um so it it was it was very very important the the people who it it meant the most to certainly found it um the story goes as far as i understand that um richard o'brien who portrays riffraff in this in the in the film version and and i believe the stage version um he wrote the original stage show um i think it was a, a uk and i think it was a uk production um, he himself is like Kiwi and British, but make of that what you will. A lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the, the cast and crew uh, were Aussies, Kiwis, and Brits, like like all all manner of them mixed together. But um, or, originally, it was a stage show, I think, in like '73, and then eventually the production found its way to the U.S., uh, beginning on the West Coast, which is where Meatloaf, I think, was integrated in the mm, cast. Interesting um, for the stage show. So this was pre bad out of hell bad oh, out of wow. hell i think was i think that was the late 70s late 70s so he hadn't really taken off just yet uh, so he was a presence in the musical industry like but he he really hadn't exploded just yet um but anyway uh eventually they ended up making this film version of it in 1975 uh apparently it was producer mandate that uh, a couple of americans be inserted into the cast for marketing reasons uh to appeal to a uh, potential moviegoers in the states, uh, so that's how we ended up with Barry Bostwick and Susan Sarandon, both of whom do a very good job. Barry Bostwick, especially, I love that guy. He's great. Uh, Susan Sarandon's a fucking smoke show. Like she all she always has gosh. been, and pro- probably always will be. Kyle, yes. she 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 has this funny quirk though, where Susan Sarandon has been thirty 
33 or 34 forever yeah like, yeah like she like when she was 19 she looked 34 and then when she was 50 she looked 34, 34. Yeah. <laughs> it's like she just she hit that one sweet spot and just kind of never left yeah. but she hit it early because like e- even in earlier roles like this is like how old is she <laughs> and then it's like you you flash forward into like her 90s filmography it's like she looks the fucking she, same she, as she same. did in 1975 uh, but yes definite mm. smoke show for sure always and also but, i this is the first time i've ever heard her sing mm-hmm. um and she does have quite the lovely speaking voice uh so i was really impressed that she actually has true pipes yeah um uh but yeah we we have these two american actors inserted in the cast uh for marketing purposes it worked out um but the funny story behind the production behind the movie is that it 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 didn't find a home initially (laughs) like when it came out in 1975 nobody liked it nobody wanted it uh i saw an interview with tim curry where he i think he he said yeah it's quite a good movie i think he uses the phrase it died a death upon its release like like as in it, it just shat the bed when it yeah. came out initially but then uh one of the producers in, or somebody involved in the production had the brilliant idea of re-releasing it uh on the mid like the i guess the the second tier or second run theater circuit mm-hmm. uh, for midnight screening purposes and that's that's where we got the Ro- rocky horror picture show phenomenon is uh it i think it debuted in the states on the west coast and then it <clears throat> By the time it was re-released the following year in 1976 on the East Coast, that's where it found its home. Uh, famously, there, there was like an entire like huge fan club built around it uh, in Greenwich Village uh, in New York. Um, but yeah, that, that's where the legacy comes from is, is its second run. Uh, its initial release was a total fucking flop, but, but yeah. Uh, yeah, 19, it worked out. 1975 was just a completely different kind of tone. I mean, that's when Barry Lyndon came out, Monty Python, The Holy Grail, Jaws, Rollerball, uh, Al Pacino and Dog Day Afternoon. Ever heard of it? Uh, but yeah, yeah like, it was a little crowded. <laughs> one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's like your heavy hitters are putting out some of their biggest films that year. And this is not this is not what we were into at that time. We were into just dull as fuck movies. Yeah, and I, I think uh, I I can't help but suspect that maybe the I guess you'd call it success, at least on maybe like a, a niche cultural level, uh, the success of like John Waters and mm-hmm. uh, Pink Flamingos a few years earlier probably led to this one finding a home, like finding its audience uh, in the form of you know the less than mainstream audiences of the day. Because uh, even if you just look at the costuming and the and like the the casting for this production, it's like you can you can tell that like people from off the beaten path, like this this is this is this was kind of like a safe space for a lot of people in yes. that era, where it's like w- the doors are open to everyone, like everybody's represented, everybody's welcome, and by the time we get to the end of it, everybody is loved, um, which again in 1975 was not definitely not the true. case. Yeah, I mean that that was an era where you know, there, it was it was a matter of like personal safety. Yeah. Uh, to yeah. to keep certain facts to yourself. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it, it was a totally different world. And uh, yeah, Rocky Horror, as far as I understand, is a very 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 special film uh, to a lot of people, even to this day. Such that um, I think they they did a, a tribute to it. They've done multiple tributes to it, like across many TV shows. I think they did like a a remake or a rebroadcast of it one of those uh 
NBC or ABC live shows or something. Laverne Cox uh, stood in for Tim Curry's role. Yeah, unfortunately, he's wheelchair bound now because uh, of his oh. stroke. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, since 2012, I think he's. Uh, yeah, he's he had a stroke, and then yes, he's been he's been wheelchair bound. Uh, during the pandemic, they put together a table read that he was a part of. Uh, but I can't find it anywhere. I'd really like to. Uh, to li- I'd like to hear that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, any chance to listen to Tim Curry? Honestly, the man, the man has an amazing voice. Yes, <laughs> like, he really does. It's, it's, it's so utterly unique. And I, I, I want to say it like part of it is not just like his vocal cords, but just like the fucking construction of his face. Yeah, his smile. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> devious. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't open my mouth that wide if I tried. It, even if I broke my jaw, like unhinged my jaw, I couldn't get it that, that wide. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not possible. Um, um, but, but Kyle, uh, do I have to try to give a plot summary for the Rocky? Horror actually, film? yeah. Why don't you give a you give a plot summary for this? <laughs> okay, uh, being as this is Kyle's Killer October, uh, normally I I hand over this duty to Kyle, but uh, it's his show, so I'm gonna try my best here. So, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, directed by Jim Sharman, uh, is is a sci-fi slash horror themed musical centered around uh, our breeding pair uh, in the form of Barry Bostwick and Susan Sarandon uh, happening upon a a spooky castle uh, in the woods when they get a flat tire Uh, they meet uh, some party some party goers and some alien types Uh, a a human being is created in a rainbow vat of liquid Mm-hmm. And uh, merry mishaps ensue. Yes, <laughs> merry mishaps. Yes, and a lot of music, a lot of singing. Yes, uh, much much joyful singing. <laughs> uh, I just say the dialogue. There's actually like, especially from Tim Curry. There's actually some really fun dialogue with him in the movie, uh, especially near the beginning of the film. Um, but yeah, as we we'll, as we we'll go through it, uh, the movie starts to kind of lo- like we kind of starts to lose us near the end. Personally, uh, there's a few too many. Uh, slow jams as the movie ends yeah when we when we get to that final reel it's like i'm kind of partied out to be honest and and you know this is a consequence of adapting a stage show to film true on a on a very tight budget mind you um because they're they did have to pad things out a little bit like i i think a couple of numbers were extended um, and additional music was written to f- just like pad out certain sequences of the film. In particular, like I think Rocky running away from the dogs is just like fluff. Like it's just mm-hmm. there to add padding to the film. Um, and yeah, it was produced on a pretty low budget, so it's just like you know we we did the best that we could. And and this is not like high art filmmaking by any means. On a conceptual level, it's it's actually pretty. Uh, pretty deep stuff like there is there is some pretty interesting theming going on but in terms of like production values and stuff no but like no for this fuck's sake we're, we're actually shooting for like a b-movie feel that's the point this movie is rich with themes and they're all kind of into the same category but the themes start to get a little muddled and it doesn't really make as much sense near the end um but yeah so the uh did you like the opening song like what were you expecting how are you expecting this to start out because it's jarring for me when I watch it each time that this is how it starts because it's such, it's so bizarre. Yeah, I, I I had no idea what to expect, so I'm glad that you, that's how you put it to me. Um, and yeah, the the poster is is something that I think was really worth mentioning because um, as a kid, like walking up and down the aisles in the video store and stuff, this was a you couldn't miss a it. V- 
yeah, you couldn't miss it. It jumped out at you. And up until, like, like it would be many, many years before I'd have any idea of what the movie would actually be about. But the cover art always made me curious just because it's so iconic and it jumps right the fuck out at you. Um, and it's only fitting that the poster art is essentially the first image we get in the movie. Um, my I'll be perfectly honest. <laughs> oh, I was, go ahead. I say my stepsister had this poster on her wall, and I was just fascinated with it. I'm like, what? I'm going to watch this movie one day. I don't know what it is, but it seems awesome. Yeah, I kind of had the same feeling, where it's mm. like I was always curious as to what the fuck is what? that. <laughs> yeah. Like, it doesn't even matter if it's good. I just kind of want to know what the deal is with that. Like, what it? And even the title, it, it's a uh, confounding. Like, mm-hmm. The Rocky Horror... Because remember, I, I was raised in a Sylvester Stallone household. Yeah. Like, Rocky and Rambo were played quite often in our household. So, like, when I see the Rocky Horror Picture Show, I'm like... What the fuck on, does that it, mean? Yeah, what the fuck does that mean? And then yeah. the lipstick, it's just like, what? <laughs> it's like, is Rocky going to put on lipstick and That's be confusing. in a horror movie? Yeah. Is he going to fight vampires or something? Because it has the horror font and everything. It's it's very, oh, you're confused. It's very interesting. Oh, you're confused? Well, this movie's for you. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this will clear things up for you. <laughs> <laughs> Might figure some shit out on the other side of this. <laughs> or maybe it'll get you to try some shit out. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. But, but uh, yeah, yes, the, you will you you will come out of the Rocky Horror Picture Show a different person. Yes. Um, but uh, to answer your question, Kyle, I think this might actually be my favorite song in the whole movie. It's my second, third favorite song. That's fair. Um, and yeah, uh, folks at home, uh, probably the best way for us to tackle this movie is mostly just to address the songs and our our specific feelings on each yeah. of them. But um, yeah, uh, the first song in the movie, the opening sequence for the credits, is a uh, science fiction slash double feature. And uh, the lips we see performing the pantomime, uh, the lip sync is uh, those are the lips of Patricia Quinn, uh, who portrays Magenta, mm-hmm. uh, who. Who looks quite a bit like someone a we used to work, work with? You're right. I was thinking the same thing every time I watch this. I'm like, it's her, and I've I've wanted to tell her this, but I'm like, I don't know how she's gonna take it. But yes, thank you, 100. Yes, For, a former coworker of both Kyle and I uh, looks extraordinarily similar to Patricia Quinn as it's Magenta. Hair. It's the hair. It's uh, it's mostly the hair, but you know. All, all it would take is for Patricia Quinn to do one sniper eye at some point, just wink at somebody. For a- <laughs> <laughs> the accent's not far off. I mean, we're getting kind of uh, close. Yeah. But yeah, she doesn't listen to this show, but we're not going to name her. <laughs> so th- this is your favorite song of the film. I, I do really like this song to open it though. I think, I think so. Yeah. Uh, this was the one that I've I, I've been putting on the soundtrack like this week just mm. to like have playing on the background partially to just get me in the right mood for talking about this. Good, um, good man. And uh, yeah, I I think it it has like a, a hauntingly like sentimental feel to it. Then like the entire movie, like the entire song is is kind of wrapped around like nostalgia for like 50s b movies essentially like Mm -hmm. and like a lot of like a lot of movies are actually like straight up name dropped in the lyrics of this song Mm -hmm. like uh, king kong is mentioned uh i caught day of the triffids um i think forbidden planets mentioned as well a a personal Mm -hmm. favorite of kyle's Uh, he actually owns that movie he lent it to me a while back it's great guys Um, watch it but yeah the actual singing voice though is richard o'brien uh who portrays riffraff 
so the voice is a male singing in like an androgynous tone and the lips are of a female so it's like immediately the first image we get in the movie kind of signals a lot of the theming that we're going to be get be getting throughout the rest of the film um but yeah it just i i really love the the sound of this song it it's it's cozy it makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside <laughs> um and it, it it's a it's a welcoming way to come into the movie even even if like the lyrics are a little bit confusing <laughs> like um some some of it starts to make more sense when they do the reprise of it uh, over the end credits mm-hmm. where where like uh, the mention of Brad and Janet yeah. fighting androids or whatever. It's like, what the fuck does that mean? And then when you get to the credits, it's like, oh, he mids- okay. Yeah, they it. midsummer you. Uh, they tell you <laughs> yeah. what the movie is before it happens. <laughs> yeah, they're they're straight up just telling you the movie yeah. in, in visual or I, audio form. <laughs> I do really like that movie, but you're absolutely right. We just hold on that, that picture in Midsummer at the beginning. Like, do you see? Do you see the picture? This is what's going to happen. Yeah, it is. It's a little too on the nose, Ari, but it's fine. It's a great movie. Man in bear suit. Do you see? Do you see? <laughs> um, Annoying Irish actor transformed. Do you see? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We wait. We waste no time getting to the themes, though. But uh, with this, with this opening scene, we get a church. Uh, we got ourselves a wedding, um, and you can clearly see. I mean, I noticed it this time. And it may have taken me a couple of times to notice that uh, Riff Raff and Magenta. And well, you definitely noticed Tim Curry, but uh, Riff Raff and Magenta are doing that old that it's that famous painting of the farmer and his wife. Uh, American Gothic. American Gothic. Uh, they're kind of posed like that, and then you can see Tim, a very, like the youngest I've seen Tim Curry without makeup on, uh, as the priest. And it's very subtle. If you've never, if you hadn't seen the film yet, you might not catch it. But uh, yes, this is where we uh, we learn uh, about Brad and Janet. Yeah, uh, and damn it, Janet. Damn it, uh, Janet. But, be- but before that, uh, yeah, we're basically they're attending a wedding. Yeah. Uh, for for their friends, and it's it's a really basic ass wedding. Did you see? Um, yeah, it's a basic. That's some basic <laughs> shit. Uh, did you see? Did you see what was written on this car as they're driving away? I didn't catch the car. I was I was more transfixed on the billboard. What's it, the car say? It's very aggressive. It says, wait till tonight. She got hers. And then in big letters, it says, now he'll get his. It's like, whoa, that's, yeah, we're saying something here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's that's some pretty loud theming right there. We're, mm-hmm. I mean, that that's what these, these two characters, Barry Bostwick and Susan Sarandon, uh, Brad and Janet basically kind of represents like they're the American squares yeah. of of either the 1950s or the 1970s doesn't really matter honestly it's just basically like conservative traditional upti- yeah. uptight vanilla white people in the in the in America just, <laughs> just missionary for me that's all <laughs> yeah, basically yeah. for um, now yeah. Uh, so yeah the the explicit messaging on the car there i think kind of is mocking that concept of saving oneself for marriage or whatever where it's mm. just like yeah, it's like what are we doing here guys <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, but it yeah. is a theme that is revisited multiple times in the film but um after after the bride and groom take off uh barry bostwick like saunters off he takes a stroll he's thinking about things she caught the bouquet by the way so he's like oh shit i guess i'm on the hook for that oh Um, and then uh he has his musical number yes Uh, damn it janet damn it janet (laughs) um that's something my mom used to say to me damn it janet i'm like what are you talking about she's like you'll it's a movie you'll see it someday um that's fun yeah but it's like 
I don't really know what the song is getting at in here. Like, maybe he's conflicted or nervous about proposing, or maybe he feels like he has to. But he proposes at a wedding, which is super fucking tacky. Uh, the, granted, the wedding is over. Um, but, yeah, he, he definitely does propose at a wedding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could be the thing that he's, like, really desperate to bone, like, yeah. now. And, and it's on his mind, and he's like, well, this is this is as good an excuse as any. <laughs> well, it's it's more, like, I, I think his, um, him being kind of on the fence will make a little bit more sense later. Um, but him being on the fence right now, and we have that American Gothic, and they're like there with a coffin. It's just like, this is what you do. This is what a traditional relationship is. You get married, you have kids, and you die. So it's like, he's like, I don't really want to get on with that. But he does. Um yeah, I I like the I like the chorus element of the song. Like it, it's a fun little song. The yeah. the lyrics, I mean, like they they kind of catch you off guard immediately and let you know what kind what to expect going forward. Where it's oh damn it, Janet, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Um, but the the chorus part of it is really fun. Where it, it's the American Gothic couple is like Janet, yeah. <laughs> like, like really really kind of half hearted. Very and They much. just keep inserting themselves into into the beats between the lyrics. It's it's a lot of fun. The choreography isn't very complex. Barry Bostwick really does sell the the fuck out of his very lanky frame, though. Yeah, I only know oh. him. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. We got no, it. I was just gonna say that's always a. It seems to be like a very useful tool for musical theater performers, is having that rubber man routine. Yeah, like, it it makes everything more eye catching. Uh, I only know him from uh, Spin City as the incompetent mayor. Uh, and I remember really, I remember really liking that show, and it, I can't find it anywhere. I really like to go back and watch it because it's got Michael J. Fox and then Charlie Sheen when Charlie Sheen wasn't insane, it, like it was prime Charlie Sheen as well. Um, I'd like to go back and watch that though because I remember him being very funny. Yeah, I would too. Actually, um, that was part of my uh, in between classes viewing uh, during my college days. Nice. Was, uh, I, I watched all the the off brand sitcoms, like the uh, ones that were in syndication. Yeah, uh, uh, because it was like during the middle of the afternoon on weekdays. Mad about you, Wings. Uh, what else? Was no, there? it were like remember I was in college, so this is a bit further down the timeline. So same caliber for sure. Like, Drew Carey same show. Caliber of show. <laughs> Yes, yes, Drew Carey show. Um, uh, who's the Spin guy? Spin City. Who's the guy that plays Oswald? What's his name? I can never remember his name. Oh, I I always forget. But uh, it's funny you bring up the Drew Carey show. I forgot to mention this actually because that show served as my initial introduction to what Rocky Horror was actually. Oh, really? Because they did a Rocky Horror Picture Show themed episode. Who was uh, Frankenfurter? I can't remember who Frankenfurter was, but I. I'm pretty sure Ryan Stiles was Riff Raff. I can see that. Yeah, I mean he's he was always the MVP of everything he was in. That guy's awesome. Well, the, uh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, but uh, the shows were uh, Spin City, um, Yes Dear, mm. starring Mike O'Malley, uh, yeah. the man with the baseball cap for a for a hairdo. Like he is never seen without his ball cap. It's just always there. And then a uh, Becker. Ooh, Becker. <laughs> I never yes, watched... I watched a lot of fucking Becker. I've never completed a Ted Danson sitcom, but I would like to go back and watch Cheers. Yeah, I, I would too, but Spin City was, was special to me because I, I, I did watch a fuck ton of that when I was in college. And yeah, it managed just it managed to stay good even though they swapped out the main the main like principal actor of it. That was that's rare honestly yeah. like like bewitched didn't survive that <laughs> like not not at all um but 
yeah, Barry Bostwick, I haven't seen him in too much either, but he's always great. Mm-hmm. Like he he's he's he always shows the fuck up and yes, he was fantastic in Spin City and even uh I think it was a uh, Spy Hard. Like he, oh he's my doing god! A- yeah, he must be stopped. <laughs> yes, he was great. In Spy he's Hard. doing a shitty JFK impression, but he's really selling it. He would have been perfect to play opposite Leslie Nielsen, just in any Leslie Nielsen movie. Just have him as a different character. Yeah. Oh yeah, Easily. they have that same kind of energy, and they both have that like premature gray thing going for them too. Mm-hmm. Like get Steve Martin in there, and you have the magnificent <laughs> trio <laughs> of premature gray actors. <laughs> I'm fine without the Steve Martin, but I see where you're coming from. It's fine. I, ju- I just mentioned that in a in my recording with Brad last night that you're not a big Steve Martin guy. <laughs> nah, that's a that's a pass for me. Uh, sorry, sorry, America. Well, uh, anyway, uh, the, damn it, Janet. Uh, any other thoughts on that particular number, Kyle? No, it, it's it's fine. It's not my favorite of the songs. Um, but yeah, we uh, we get introduced to the criminologist. Now, did you recognize this actor? Because I feel like you would. Uh, yes, I did, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, so this is Charles Gray. Uh, he is he is a campy as he is as camp as camp can get, um, and he is known in my mind anyway as portraying Blofeld in a. I think the last Sean Connery James Bond movie, aside from Never Say Never Again, which is a non-canonical James yeah. Bond film, he was contractually obligated to appear in that film. Uh, he portrays Blofeld in Diamonds Are Forever, and there's a reason they put him in drag in that movie, because they have him at their command. It's like, well, why the fuck not? <laughs> and and he, he is chewing all of the scenery in that movie. That movie is often thought of as one of the worst Bonds. I I've seen wholeheartedly it. Di- I wholeheartedly disagree. It's it not- is enter- it is entertaining for all the wrong reasons, but god damn it, it's still entertaining. Damn it, Janet. It I has, still like it. It has Rowan Atkinson in it for crying out loud. Yes, it does. Yes, you're absolutely right. And uh what's his face? Crispin Glover's dad uh is one of the assassins. Oh, really? I Yeah, you you can you can spot him. Like they have a similar The nose to is them. <laughs> Well, take Crispin Glover's head and just like squish it down a little bit. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh but yes, he he's uh, the criminologist is the the man who's kind of setting up the story and we'll we'll go back to him uh, a few times throughout the film like he'll kind of hone us back in on what's happening. But yeah, he kind of sets up the story kind of like a horror story. He's like Brad and Janet don't really know what's going to happen, but they're in for quite an evening. Yeah, uh, this this was a thing in a lot of like B movies. Uh, in fact, uh, we di- we didn't review it for catching up on cinema, but the uh, the American, the international cut of uh, King Kong versus Godzilla has exactly this. Oh, uh, really? In the, for- in, in the form of Science Man and News Reporter Man, uh, where the movie just cuts to them every once in a while in a in a newsroom explaining what the fuck is happening in the movie and then we cut back to the movie because apparently uh american distributors thought the americans were too fucking stupid to follow a goddamn godzilla movie that's a safe assumption <laughs> very safe in any point any point in american history you can assume that americans are too stupid to get something uh, hang on now how'd that gorilla get so big <laughs> i need some hard science Honey, do we do we skip the first part of the movie i don't know how he got so big yeah. He's like, that gorilla is tussling with an octopus. <laughs> How can that be? <laughs> They're not natural enemies. <laughs> uh, but oh, yeah, uh, I I really love Charles Gray in this movie. Mm. Uh, he he is he's kind of like 
he gets in on the fun every once in a while, but usually he's he's trying desperately to be the straightest straight man that can be straight. He plays it. He's Charles Grace. Yeah. <laughs> he 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 toes the line perfectly. Perfectly, yes. It, it could it could have so easily just been like I mean, he's kind of known. He's like the only probably known person besides you know Susan Swearingen and Barry Boswick at this point. I don't even know where their careers were at yet. Um, but yeah, he's probably the most well known, and he could have easily just been like. Now Brad and Janet are going to do something, but he's actually committed. Like he's actually doing it, and it makes it a lot of fun. Yeah, and the I have to praise the movie. Like I said, the production values aren't outstanding, but some of the edits, like the timing of some of the edits yes. when they reinsert him into the narrative, are pitch perfect. No, like, you could not have done it better. No, there's some really good comedic timing in here, especially with the edits. I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, yeah, absolutely. But um, one thing I wanted to point out, Kyle, and I'm I. I should have asked you before we started recording, but his first line, uh, I think it's, uh, I want to take you on a strange journey. Yeah. I've heard this sampled in something, like a, a song or something, and I, for the life of me, I cannot remember what it is, but I swear, I swear that I have heard this, like, sampled in some piece of music that I've heard over the years. Rob Zombie. But, li- but, but long before I saw the movie, so I didn't know where it came from. Rob Zombie likes to fucks with that. Like he'll he'll take it from like old horror movies. Um, that does that does sound right, actually. He 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 would be the one to use it if I could think of anybody. But it could also be somebody who's who's uh, what do you call it? Like their uh, oh goddamn, I can't think of the word to describe. It. Like Rob Zombie's thing is horror movies. Like that's especially early Rob Zombie. That was mostly his appeal. Was just like that's the horror movie guy. His music videos. Oh yeah, are, no. Yeah. Without having listened to most of his his discography, I could assume that he probably took some like some of the shouting at the end of Invasion of the Body Snatchers or something. Trevor, or one I'm the news, one of the news reports from Dawn of the Dead or something. I would put my life on that that he's done that. <laughs> <laughs> That's how yeah, I, I would yeah. I would assume as much, but it's like yes, I I would like to take you on a strange journey yeah and then we cut to uh wayne's world 2 as we're trying to find the uh <laughs> we're trying to find the place to set up the uh way uh wayne stock uh i do like that i was trying to read what the uh, the newspaper said on it but i could only see the funny name uh i can't remember what it was i'm like oh that's not a name of a real newspaper but yeah they're just listening to the radio uh dark stormy night out in the middle of uh nowhere just you know just trees uh, we pass bikers, which doesn't really matter that much, but it's just kind of happening in the film. Um, yeah, it's R- remember padding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, they they end up getting a flat tire, and uh, I love I love it when we uh, figured out. I was like, oh man, I wish I would have gotten that spare. Now we got a flat tire. Like, didn't we pass a castle? <laughs> which I thought was just a funny thing to ask. <laughs> yeah it, it kind of comes out of nowhere and both of them are, are behaving as if they're in a, a 1950s b movie yeah. so they're both being very earnest in their yeah. performances but um i would like to point out that what's playing on the radio is uh richard nixon's uh resignation speech basically like oh, him nice. abdicating him ad- abdicating his role as president so i guess that's kind of telling you the cultural vibe of the day uh so it was it was a turbulent time in in in, in American culture and politics for sure. <clears throat> um, but yeah, on the plan at this point. <laughs> Sorry, there's a funny Louis C.K. bit about being a kid. He's like, when I was a kid, it was crazy. He's like, when I was a kid, the president of the United States went on TV 
cried like a crazy person and said, I'm not going to be president anymore, got onto a helicopter and flew away. He's like, that was mind-blowing when you were a kid because that never happened before. But yeah, sorry. Yeah, uh, apparently Nixon was a, a code word uh, to make my dad's dog bark back in the day. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, you would say, Nixon, and he would go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Uh, yeah, I do like the B-movie uh, horror setup here. It's, it's fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and I'm sure any number of, of future productions owe quite a lot of their their inspiration from this movie because i mean this is a really basic setup for a, a standard horror movies mm-hmm. you know a couple lost in the woods or trapped in the rain they go into a scary mansion and then merry mishaps ensue but like part of me wants to think that the uh, the computer game maniac mansion maybe drew some inspiration from this uh some of the some of the vibe and just the general concept feel kind of similar um and of course the very first episode of catching up on cinema kyle nothing, nothing but, but trouble yeah <laughs> yeah I, I when they go into this place i'm like that's that's nothing but trouble yeah that's easily yeah and by the time the wheelchair is scooting around the place it's like, and the dinner scene it's like yeah we we've been here before <laughs> i don't even think the changeling had come out yet i i don't know the date on that one that's the michael kane movie right uh uh or george, george c. c scott 1980 yeah. the changeling came out in 1980 okay damn um but yeah uh, uh folks at home like i'm sure you're probably shouting at our podcast similar to how audiences shout at the movie no. uh, being as uh, i don't think kyle and i know the the steps to carrying out a proper viewing like the audience participation aspect of a of a rocky horror show mm. um but i'm pretty sure I, I remember hearing that newspapers were a prop that you generally whip out around this time in the movie i do remember that being something um rice i think is one of them maybe toilet paper Toilet paper, I definitely did at the Blue Man Group. I saw them in at the Chicago Theater where they started, and that was that was a lot of fun uh, seeing the Blue Man Group uh, there because that toilet paper was a thing in that. Awesome, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't remember. I, it probably is with Rocky Horror Picture Show. But yeah, this is the newspapers. Uh, then we get to uh, the house, and it's over at Frank over at the Frankenstein's place, which is kind of a fun song. Yeah, there's a light over at the Frankenstein place, and uh, this this. This song has a, a really fun build-up to it. It almost feels like, uh, what is it, Queen's uh, Flash Gordon song? Mm-hmm. With the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Yeah, yeah, it's got a fun build. And it has like a slightly ominous but also kind of catchy beat to like build up to the tension of it. And they, uh, Brad and Janet, uh, they walk in through the, the rain and the thunder. And uh, then, yeah, this this kind of like ballad plays where it's like it has a very like hopeful uh, feel to it uh, where they're not so much singing about taking refuge in the place. They're kind of like singing about like just like hope and, and, and light existing in darkness in your life. And that the the fact that they look to each other kind of signals that they're, that's what they're thinking of uh, in, in regards to that concept. But yeah, it's, it's a fun little song. It doesn't drag on by any means. Uh, The, 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 the choir uh, that backs like the in between beats of it is, is, really nice they have a nice tone to them and uh we're also introduced to riffraff yeah. uh, through one of the castle windows and uh this uh it's interesting because he doesn't really hit this particular voice like he doesn't hit this pitch very often in the in the song in the film i mean uh this would be richard o'brien as riffraff um he hit kind of a similar tone for that first song for science fiction 
Um, and he gets there every once in a while in like bits and pieces of some of the other songs. But for the most part, he stays away from this particular pitch. And I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's kind of funny that this is how we're introduced to him. And then it doesn't really pop up again until like way later in the movie. But um, yeah, it's a fun little beat. And then uh, it concludes with them uh, getting to the door of the castle. And by the way, uh, the the legacy of this uh, being as a lot of the inspiration was drawn from B movies and whatnot. It's only fitting that apparently this castle was used for the filming of a lot of hor- uh, Hammer horror films back in the day. Uh, so sense. they they actually used a lot of props from that company as well. So both the set and the like a lot of the props and costuming were just pulled straight from those old productions. So it's it's authentic. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. But yes, this is where he, he's basically Igor. If you haven't if you haven't seen Riff Raff, he's more or less an Igor, not in personality, but in uh, stature. The way he's way, his appearance, more or less, hunched over, kind of creepy. Um, but yeah, he. He he, uh, he introduces himself, and like, can we use your phone? He's just like, y'all wet. <laughs> like, great yeah. observation. Um, yeah, he opens the door and he's just, hello, hello, <laughs> come in. The master's having one of his get-togethers. Yeah, <laughs> y'all wet, y'all wet. <laughs> uh, yes, and uh, they come in, and I did you like how Magenta is positioned on the staircase? She spooked me. Yeah. <laughs> i didn't i didn't notice her the first time yeah <laughs> uh yeah, yeah she's just got her head down on the on like on the banister and like the, her big mop of hair like it blends in with the texture of the wood and then she pops up it's like ah <laughs> Th- this movie uh magenta and columbia are almost entirely the inspiration for sherry moon zombies baby in uh house of a thousand corpses and devil's rejects because she is nuts like Magenta, and then she kind of does the high pitched, annoying thing that uh, Columbia does. Yeah, not a big fan. Yeah, R- really not a big fan, especially with the headphones and with a a slip of the audio knob where it's like that's too loud. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess you could. Oh shit! Yeah, because she just kind of. Uh, this is where we kick into. I think Time Warp is this one. Yeah. Uh, it. The introduction is really brief. We get a hello from uh, from Riff Raff, and he welcomes them into the into the castle. And uh, both Brad and Janet are a little disturbed by the appearance of things. And we do actually hear like a lot of crowd noises going on off screen. Uh, so there's obviously people somewhere in there, and Janet's going on and on about like how concerned she is and how this place is fucking creepy. Brad, let's get out of here. But he's he's doing the 1950s B movie hero thing of. It's all right. Yeah. I'm here, Janet. <laughs> um, yeah, I like the, all the guests are dressed like Bill and Ted's bogus journey or Bill and Ted's uh, uh, Hunger Games, basically, where they're like rad, you know, but uh, they, they're all wearing different kinds of sunglasses and different kinds of tuxedos, which is fun. But yeah, uh, I think this is uh, I like Richard O'Brien. I like I like Riff Raff in this. Like he's actually like really he's really hitting it in this one. Oh yeah, no, he goes for it. The the few bits where he gets to have solos in the song, mm-hmm. but yeah, this is time warp. This is, I guess, what you call like one of the show stopping songs on the yeah. on the soundtrack. It's like one of the most popular ones, easily. Um, and apparently, it was originally conceived as largely filler for the stage version of the production. I so the movie really made it. Apparently, I could see that because the I, I was trying to think back. I'm like, is this one of the f- earliest songs where we put in how to do a dance into the song? Because I like. It definitely happens now. Like, 
the cha-cha slide is, you know, that's the whole thing. It's just telling you what to do. But I'm like, I don't think this was really a thing where you tell people how to do a dance in a song. I think it, I think it actually was back in the day. Was it? Uh, yeah, like do the twist and all that kind of well, that's stuff. That's easy, you know? dude. You just fucking, you leave one leg still, you lift up your heel, and then you wiggle your toes basically on the ground. Like, it's, yeah, it's I mean, it's, it's a drunk created for and, and, like pioneered by drunk people. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm just gonna twist here. Yeah, I'm just gonna try desperately to not fall the fuck over. <laughs> See, I think it's a fun song until it gets to the core. The chorus is a little obnoxious after a few times. After you've heard it, you're like, okay, I gotcha. Yeah, I, I think that's where uh, its origins as a filler song start to show a little bit. Is the number of times we run through the the chorus is is a little more than your standard concerning three, right? yeah <laughs> yeah it's like are we done right, <laughs> because no. i've been done for a little while now but uh, yeah it drags on a little bit but it is kind of saved uh, oh. by mr gray like when 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 we do get the steps as to how to do yeah. the time warp because i'm not gonna lie kyle as soon as soon as the song came on i i of course have heard it before it's impossible not to yeah. Yeah, I've I've worked at a value village around Halloween time. <laughs> I had friends in uh, high school. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I've I've certainly heard the song before, however, I've never seen the movie. So my first question was, what the fuck is the time warp? Mm-hmm. And the movie accommodated that by cutting, like doing a hard cut to Charles Gray in his in his office. And it's it's a brilliant comedic beat where yeah. they they say let's do the time warp again and then we cut to him in his office and he pulls down a projector screen and it has the steps and he points to it with a pointer and he yeah. says it's just a step to the left <laughs> you jump to the left and then a step to the right yes yeah <laughs> uh, and then he even, it's, it's fantastic he gets into it on top of his desk i think too which is kind of fun um but yeah this uh this song goes on and it concludes with everybody just dropping to the floor and this has been kind of weird. Uh, like, us as the viewers are kind of like, okay, that was weird. But we forget that Brad and Janet are in the room. And they're like, okay, let's just, you know, let's get out of here. <laughs> I don't know what this is all about. Their reactions to things are, are very fascinating to this. Because, again, in, like, 1975, it's interesting seeing these two characters who are explicitly framed as being the, the squares in the room. Mm-hmm. Like, the odd men out, like, in this particular setting. And their reaction to things is like to just like they stay very civil and like fairly understanding throughout. Like like they aren't like yelling and screaming about like how weird everybody is. Like they just kind of like go with it and they're just like, let's just not offend anyone. Well, (laughs) Brad has a full head of hair. He doesn't have a high and tight. High and tight guy would have been throwing throwing fists. Yeah, I mean Michael Douglas and falling down. Yeah. That's actually a movie I wouldn't mind seeing, <laughs> like, just just to see the fireworks that unfold. Like he, that would be the kind of thing where it would turn into like John Waters territory, where instead of welcoming him in, into the home, they probably just end up eating him or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you you got to go. <laughs> like, um, defense. <laughs> but yes, then we get introduced to Doctor Frankenfurter, and I love the way that the, the way he's introduced in this movie. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have a grand entrance on a very low budget, you may as well make use of an elevator. Like yeah. It, it, and and that, very similar to the approach to the castle, the, the beginning beats of this musical number, it has that, like, cadence. It's like, dun, dun, dun. It's yeah. like, oh, something, something cool is about to happen. And we, we get, like, a body part reveal. Of just I think his heels yeah. are the first thing you see. Yeah. Um, but I, I did, like, Barry Bostwick's line of, like, 
And it's like it's okay, Janet. They they just they're they're different. They have a different culture. Like they 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 have different rituals. Uh, involves a lot more folk dancing. It's <laughs> 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 so he's he's trying to be civil, but you can tell he's so out of his element. But um, yeah, she really really wants to leave at this point. But then they back out of the the dance hall where all the rockabilly types like that are chorus for most of the movie uh, have basically collapsed and they're starting to pick up the pieces and then uh yeah uh, we get our introduce introduction to dr frank inferter uh tim curry and the musical number uh sweet transvestite transvestite yes <laughs> that's a mouthful yeah. <laughs> um yeah i love it uh one of the things i love about it is him breaking the fourth wall occasionally throughout the film it's really subtle and it's just perfect just perfect little little timing um but I love the use of like modern stuff. Did you notice that throughout the film? Like, um, like we're in a really old castle, but like he starts off with his uh, his song and he takes like a little break and he goes over to a water cooler and <laughs> just gets like the little cone shaped paper cup and gets a sip of water, introduces himself and gets back to the song. But later with the turkey, him using the uh, the electric the the electric turkey slicer, I'm like that's a weird touch. Yeah, it it's. I, I can't quite describe it actually. Like I, I'd have to do some more research on this, but but there there's like a certain chunk of American history where uh like this kind of like kitschy, like like campy, like borderline trashy aesthetic was like really sweeping the nation mm-hmm. and, and really really, really resonated with certain people. Like um the like the tiki bar aesthetic. Yeah. Like like I don't know how many years that was in vogue, oh. but for a for a certain group of people, man, that was like the shit. The, that was uh, the thing. Um, Karen and uh, uh, Goodfellas, like they're at the, their their house, what they decorated. It's like, oh my god, why would you think that was a good idea? It wouldn't even be like a cool retro thing. I'm like, that's the tackiest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> Yeah, pineapples and meatloaves and putting th- putting things in jello molds and stuff. It it it, it was very much that like, like that like I don't know, Betty Crocker like homemaker aesthetic yeah. that that a lot of like really it it's a it has a cultural footprint that's like really far reaching that I I obviously I wasn't around for the day, but every once in a while you see like shades of it come back every once in a while it it's one of those things i really need to do some research into because it it really has stuck around and really resonated with a certain group of people um but i i love tim curry in this because i mean this is why i say this is my favorite role and i think his best role is because he like announces himself in this and he is having a blast playing this uh him dancing and him singing he his uh, his dance moves are funny. Like it's 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 a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, the the energy level uh, whenever he's on screen is just incredible. Yeah, like uh, low production values or not, it doesn't fucking matter doesn't when he's matter. on screen. Like he 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 is his own light source. He is his own camera dolly. Like he he really does change the energy of the entire film and like even the choreography of his sequences, just his sequences, basically feels. Like it was given more attention and maybe more time devoted to it, um, but yeah, this is a hell of a, a debut for for the character. Um, hell of a musical number. It's very very memorable, um, and yeah, that that little break when he he gets a drink of water is it, the timing on it's kind of priceless. As is the fact that again, Barry Bostwick and Susan Sarandon are still playing things very straight. 
Mm-hmm. Like they just like walk straight, just like walk straight up to him. And there's like, so uh, can we like borrow your phone? And he's in the middle of a fucking musical number. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the way and the way he kind of interacts with him is like what you'd imagine like um like a bitchy lounge singer to be like. Like that he's just kind of like, oh hi, like I I'm busy right now. Yeah, it's. I well, mean that that's Frank and Furter to a T. Like <laughs> we're all just kind of sharing space on his planet. Yeah. <laughs> but I like the uh, the end of the song. I see you quiver with anticipation. <laughs> see, see, that's a, a meme that I I had seen but mm. had never experienced. I've I've seen other people make use of that clip and and the way they space it out with that that beat is it's comedy gold. It really really works. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he says, "Why don't you come up to the lab and see what's on the slab?" Because I think he mentions that he's creating a. He was creating something. Um, yeah, yeah. He does say he's. He basically says, "I, I made a person." Yeah. You want to come see? <laughs> so, yeah. They uh, they go up, and I always I this kind of reminded me of this this room reminded me of Batman Returns. It kind of reminded me of the Penguins layer, like the, the. It's just really big. I the. It's like a really eerie use of light for me, like the the color of the walls and the lighting. I don't know. I've always found this this room kind of creepy. Well, I I can't I can't speak as to whether or not Tim Burton drew any sort of inspiration from this film directly. However, I can guarantee you he drew inspiration from the same sources that the, these filmmakers did. Like mm. like again that like Betty Crocker, yeah. like 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 that Leave It to Beaver kind of. Yeah. atmosphere like you can see it For especially sure. in like edward scissorhands and mars attacks like he has an affinity he has a nostalgia for that particular look of of american aesthetics and yeah i i would not be surprised if you could just like flip through a gallery of of tim burton sets or or at least his production designers work over the years and just find things that look almost identical to this this uh, uh, operating theater i do, one thing that i do kind of think is funny throughout the film is that uh frankenfurter is always wearing this outfit but he'll just like don other garments on top um so they end up stripping brad and janet which was kind of funny they just like you guys are going to be in your underwear for pretty much the rest of the movie um yeah and and again uh barry bostwick and susan sarandon brad and janet they uh he he kind of admonishes her he's like no no this is just their way yeah we'll just go along with it <laughs> we it's like if we if we have to get tough with them we'll do it later but for now let's just go along with this it. like it's it's like they're it's like they're at a quote foreign person's yeah. house or something <laughs> like it's like so am i supposed to take off my shoes because yeah. <laughs> i'm not okay with that this is america damn it <laughs> i'm not taking off my fucking shoes all right uh, the, did you notice Barry Bostwick's underwear? It's not even tidy whities It's like a there's like a weird flap in the front. They're very strange. Yeah, very complex tidy whities Very. Uh, yeah, and I, I, he's doing all right for himself. Just say that much. <laughs> yeah, I was because they actually they mentioned it in the movie too. It's like, oh, look at that. Uh, I was like, is that is that Barry Bostwick's bulge or is that just did they add that? But it, yeah. they might have had to account for it. It's like. The characters have to be in their underwear, but Barry Boswick's hung, so we have to address it. I mean, they had a costume designer working on all this stuff. I forget who it was, but uh, it was someone of note, so I wouldn't be surprised if they they looked at what he was working with and they're just like, oh, we're going to need to put an extra layer of fabric in there. (laughs) (laughs) I think, think from from what I understand, I mean... We all know at this point John Hamm has an impossible hog, but I think he had to wear like uh, like underwear or something underneath his boxers because he's actually shown in his boxers 
uh, in Mad Men, or they think they had to like, <laughs> like we got to hold the dick down. Like <laughs> it's too distracting in these suits. <laughs> no, by the time they were making things like Mad Men, you'd have to CGI airbrush that to diminish the girth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, like kind of like uh, Kevin Costner's hairline in a uh, Waterworld, where mm, yes. they, en- they ended up doctoring it to fill in some of the some of the spots. <laughs> um. Do you notice the uh, the little look that uh, Tim Curry gives the camera here? Like it was just it's my this is my favorite fourth wall gag in yeah, the movie. It's great. Uh, I don't remember yeah, what he's I, saying. He just kind of like it's it's the it, timing's perfect. The timing is perfect. He uh he's he like tells his servants and by the way Riff Raff and Magenta he he refers to as his servants and yes. they they also refer to themselves as such as well. Um, he like tells them to go away and he he says he's going to take care of the guests and then he just kind of like holds out his hand he doesn't take a step towards them he just holds out his hand to like shake their hands and greet them and stuff and they everybody introduces themselves and the camera just turns around them as as he's shaking their hands and then as he's walking around them tim curry just like turns his head and looks directly yeah. into your soul and says oh how nice how nice <laughs> yes that's what oh, how nice. <laughs> it's beautiful like the timing is is priceless yeah like, uh, i had a giggle at it yeah it's it's pretty funny um but yeah this is where we uh we're doing our frankenstein's monster kind of thing where he's been working on a creation um yes and he has built a fit blonde man in a rainbow tub um the he's using like we're going through the whole sequence it's really like it's uh 60s batman kind of thing um yeah Okay. Yeah, very similar. The the production design, the aesthetic is is bright. It's Technicolor. Even the tiling in this, it's supposed to be a laboratory or an operating theater. Like the tiling is like salmon pink. Like it, it, this looks like there should be some plastic pink flamingos in the corner or something. And then you have the rockabilly choir, in, like in the in the rafters, essentially, like looking down. Like again, it's supposed to be an operating theater. And it's kind of neat having them there as spectators, because mm-hmm. uh, this is Frankenfurter like showing off his achievement of having created life. So mm-hmm. this is like a very explicit fr- like Frankenstein reference, um, and yeah, the the choir actually like joins in on a lot of the musical numbers uh, in these sequences. But yeah, there's like a mechanism that comes down from the ceiling, and there's some very Adam West Batmany type, yeah, like like wheels and and pulleys and levers on the wall. Yeah. So this seems like a good time to bring up my rainbow theory about the rainbow flag. Now, I was watching this on one of my viewings, and I'm like, huh, the rainbow flag. So the rainbow flag was adopted in 1978 as the LBGT pride flag. And it was created by Gilbert Baker, who was a gay rights activist and artist. And supposedly, I read this on Wikipedia, I don't know how true this is, but apparently Harvey Milk asked him to uh, make a symbol for uh, like the gay pride community, like for the, for the gay community. Uh, a symbol of pride for the gay community. There we go. My notes were messed up there. Um, so that was in 1978. This movie came out in 1975. Now, I'm not saying that the artist took inspiration necessarily from this movie, but I think it's interesting with all the themes that are going on in this movie that the rainbow is quite prominent and the flag was created a few years after this movie came out. Uh, a movie that I'm assuming Gilbert Baker would have been privy to. I, I would assume as much as well. I mean, it was kind of a cultural phenomenon. Um, and yeah, the the rainbow imagery in this, again, in 1975, is is very prominent. Mm-hmm. Like, not only here in the laboratory in the creation of Rocky, 
uh, the, the titular Rocky of Rocky Horror Picture Show, um, but also the finale of the movie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the rainbow color scheme is also re- revisited um, when we get to banging uh, around the mid- midway point of the movie. That's the perfect, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, the rainbow, like, I... I uh, part of me supports that theory, Kyle. Like, I'd I'd have to do more research, but you know, I I didn't know uh, that the the timeline was set up like that. That the that actual symbol wasn't firmly established, like actually made official until seventy eight. Yeah. Again, this is not substantiated. This is just a this is just a theory. Um, no, it's a it's an interesting observation. I'm glad you pointed out. Um, but yes, now we get Rocky is alive and hella fit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So 1975, like even professional wrestlers at this time were not this kind of fit. You might have had like one or two that were kind of cut, but not even to this this level. So, uh, like I remember talking to my, uh, I think my parents about this. I'm like, they're like, this is kind of a newer thing. People looking like this because this isn't what we grew up with. Oh my, mo- I remember my mom, her, her favorite wrestler. I can't remember who he was, but she remembered she liked him because he was cut like this. He was like the first one that she had seen. Uh, when she watched wrestling, my mom watched wrestling as a kid. <laughs> awesome. Right? I like your mom even more. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask her, I'm like, what What wrestler did you like? I forgot. I'll find out who it was. Uh, I'm going to say Rick Rude. Rick Rude. I mean, that might be before her time. 70s. It would have been late 70s. Okay, well, Rick Rude is going to be my guess anyway, just because he's fucking Rick Rude. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he actually was a uh, trimmer and more cut. Uh, than most wrestlers of his day like in the he was like in the beginning of the age of giants yeah uh, he was like he was like the the trimmer model uh he was like the the colombo to the arnold i guess gotcha. um but but yeah i mean bodybuilding was certainly a thing in the 70s um but yeah no professional wrestlers in the 70s like not many of them looked like this back then like like even even the roided out ones like generally they had what what is often referred to as the prototype body type yeah. it's just there's a there's a little bit of a keg yeah. and they're built they're built to sustain impact. oh they were that that was back when <laughs> drinking beer was just like no 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 you have that with lunch you have that with dinner and uh, also uh the WWF hadn't been introduced to crack yet so uh, they they were still they weren't quite as thin <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was either it was either the prototype build with the with the beer keg for a gut, or the the Rocky Johnson, where it's just like, oh my god, they're on all of the juice. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that man's veins are as big as my fucking head. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, Ro- Rocky's life, and then um, uh, I don't know if it's before. I think it, uh, Rocky has a little song, which I kind of like his song. It, it reminded me, it reminded me a little bit of like something. Like a Scooby Doo almost, or like the the music in the background sound like a haunted house Scooby Doo kind of thing. Yeah, uh, so Rocky Horror's song is the Sword of Damocles. Uh, actor, by the way, is Peter Hinwood, uh, who's the the body of Rocky Horror, but uh, apparently he's the only one listed as having a replacement voice, other than the, the title sequence. That's disappointing. Uh, Trevor Trevor White uh, provided the singing voice. Um, I mean, for fuck's sake, not. Like to be able to do both, to be like yeah. a, a cut cut as fuck bodybuilder and a, a song and dance man. Only Hugh Jackman can do yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> it's like he's literally the only one. I have a friend. I have a friend. I've, I was visiting a friend in D.C. and uh, I was going to be driving back to North Carolina, and he's just like, "All right, so yo, uh, tomorrow, uh, my family, we're all gonna we're all getting together for my brother's birthday." I'm like, "Oh, cool. What are you guys gonna do?" He's like, "We're going out to dinner. Then we're gonna go see Hugh Jackman." I'm like, "And." 
like, has he got a movie out? They're like, no, in concert. I'm like, hold up. Are you going to see him in a play? And they're like, no, he's in concert. I'm like, like, so Hugh Jackman's doing a concert. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? He's he's in a, he's in movies. <laughs> he's like, no, 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 he does concerts. I'm like, you, I did not know that. I didn't know that. He- that is that is one of my favorite uh, blowing of people's minds is letting letting extraordinary extraordinarily heterosexual men know mm-hmm. that Hugh Jackman is a song and dance man. Not and only always has been. Not only is he ripped and a badass in movies, he's a great actor. And, and not only is he, like, the nicest dude in the fucking world, but he also has pipes. Yes. Yeah. And and uh, there are any number of clips of him in white pants mm-hmm. playing a piano and dancing and singing. Or him doing <laughs> like, Oklahoma. Uh, I guess he, he was the lead for Oklahoma for a while. I think I've sent you that clip of Sir Ian McKellen on the Graham Norton couch with him. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, if you don't. If you haven't seen it, folks, just look up Graham Norton, Ian McKellen. You'll you won't be disappointed in any of them. Um, but yeah, Rocky's got his song, uh, and then I do like they're like, so what do you guys think? And uh, Brad doesn't say anything, but uh, I do like uh, Janet. She's just like, oh, I mean, I'm not really into guys with too many muscles. And he's like, I didn't make him for you, <laughs> which, I <thought> was a <laughs> good, which I thought was a good a good comeback. It's pretty great because, yeah. like, you can tell he's really looking for approval. Like, he's like he's looking for that attaboy. Yeah. And he's like, "Shut up, woman." <laughs> um, I think. Um, but there's a follow up to to the Rocky Horror song. Uh, Frankenfurter gets a number here. Oh yeah, it's uh, I uh, can make you a man, isn't it? Yes, yeah. uh, it's not a make a man out of you. It's I can make you a man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's not, let's get down to business, yeah. although it may as well be. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah same, it serves the same purpose. Um, but yeah, uh, Frankenfurter gets another number here uh, going on and on about the, the Charles Atlas regimen that he wants to put uh, his already super jacked Rocky Horror creation on because uh, Frankenfurter, unlike Janet, uh, digs the muscles quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think the, the chorus is... It, in just seven days, I can make you a man. Mm-hmm. And there's that's there's a refrain of that multiple times. Um, but the real comedy of this beat comes in the form of a random meatloaf. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie. So I guess Eddie, well, yeah, you're not really expecting this when it happens. Uh, uh. A wall falls down and suddenly meatloaf. Did you even know meatloaf was in this movie? I did not. So this was really, like, you had no idea what was going to happen. So this must have been a fun surprise for you. I, I mean, he's in the middle of a musical number. He's swooning yeah. over his creation and his success. And then a wall falls down and suddenly Meatloaf. Uh, this is my second favorite song of the film. Cause I, I like Meatloaf. Who, how can you not like Meatloaf? Um, yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. Like, He's incre- how could you not like him? He's incredible. Uh, to quote, to, to quote Seinfeld's mother, how could anyone not like him? <laughs> he's like three bills, and he's fucking. He's got pipes, and he's he's really got presence. I really like him in this, but yeah. Um, so I guess Eddie was one of his older experiments. Uh, we we learn some more stuff about Eddie later, but he's a crowd favorite, and we actually allude to Eddie before he's actually interested because I mean when he comes out, people are fucking feeling Eddie. Uh, especially uh, Columbia. She's all about Eddie. Um, but yeah, I like this hot patootie, bless my soul. It's it's fun. 
it's a little repetitive a little but bit. again it's it's meatloaf yeah. so he 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 brings the power he brings the energy like really he there's a reason all he he fucking kool-aid mans his way into the he movie. literally <laughs> kool-aid mans his way into the movie <laughs> like seriously he he brings with him all the energy and his pipes and he really does kind of he grinds the movie to a halt but you don't mind at all mm-hmm. like um, it is a very, very, very repetitive song, but yes, we do see well, that Columbia really, really likes him. And um, I'm sorry, Kyle, what were you saying? Well, I just, I just kind of made a connection here, thinking about this. Um, they're both, I think these are both kind of counterculture. This is like the, this is like uh, late '60s, early '70s. This is Jack Kerouac, uh, Steve, uh, William S. Burroughs, um, the Beatniks, basically, like where uh, William S. Burroughs was his own like he did his own thing but like mo- like motorcycles like uh motorcycle riders like this was kind of a different culture like a subculture that was also yeah. kind of like on the fringes of society and not really not really well welcomed uh so it's interesting that it's bikers and it, i'm wondering what that has to do like why he's in the movie because what happens next is frankenfurter straight up fucking kills eddie with an ice axe which is kind of strange yeah uh, i mean the the easy rider connection is probably a thing where yeah the the counterculture aspect of it where where like like finds like where you know misfits find each other i guess but um i got the sense that the attraction uh, for eddie came from like his masculinity yes very like, much because i mean there's a reason he has like a rockabilly hairdo and even the the flavor of the song is very much like old school rock and roll that that old time yeah. rock and roll if yeah. you will um <laughs> did you ever see the goods <laughs> with uh jeremy uh jeremy piven i did actually i watched it on your recommendation uh it's. I think it holds up. I think it's a pretty funny movie. But he's gonna do a rendition of uh, old time rock and roll by Seeger, and he <laughs> he's just like hit it, and he, he's like, <laughs> like he's an awful <laughs> singing voice, but he kicked. He just he goes in so confidently, and it's it's pretty funny. But anytime I think of old that old time rock and roll, I think of him trying to sing it. That old time uh, rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he he does conclude the scene. Uh, Frankenfurter bum rushes him with a pickaxe and mo- moites him. Straight uh, up. He, yeah. Yeah. Moites him. He turns him into chunky salsa in the freezer where he came from. Um, and yeah, it, it's never like 100% explicitly stated what the relationship was here, but. Yeah, apparently Eddie was an earlier experiment. Apparently Frankenfurter had some fascination or some attraction to Eddie, but not enough to the point that he obviously put him in a fucking freezer. don't think Eddie was into him. I wouldn't expect as much, yeah. He seems pretty straight. Uh, Yeah, yeah, Eddie seems pretty straight to me. But um, also, like, just what little we know of frankenfurter because like spoiler alert, the characterizations of this movie are not particularly deep it's not that kind of movie but like what we what little we know of frankenfurter suggests you know maybe someone stealing the spotlight isn't really welcome yeah so i mean that what i mean again he kool-aid manned his way into the movie and has a, a killer musical number it's like shut up <laughs> like it's my turn <laughs> it's always my turn <laughs> yes yeah, he's not happy with uh, Eddie. Um, yeah, and and it's like as as quickly as he came, Eddie is eliminated, and then Frankenfurter very promptly just finishes like revisits the same song that they were doing earlier. Um, 
And I was actually getting nervous for Tim Curry when he was doing his dance moves here. I thought he was going to, like, like crick his neck or something. <laughs> like, he, he's doing some head whips. It's he's like, a, oh, man. He's a professional, Trevor. He is going to be just fine. Yes, he's, he's quite limber as well. So I, I guess I shouldn't have been worried, but goddamn, that's like... I, I couldn't do that right now. <laughs> now, Rocky's pretty stupid, uh, we should probably say. Like, he's not... He, he's smarter than Frankenstein's monster, but he's still pretty dumb. And he kind of does, like, uh, uh, occasionally. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious if his musical number is supposed to be, like, non-diegetic or something. Yes. Or because, yeah, he's he's basically unintelligible for the remainder of the movie. Um, but, yeah, he's kind of mad at Frank, uh, at Frank and Furter for killing, you know for killing eddie but did you know like they kind of make up but did you notice that they walked down the aisle together which was an interesting thing to throw in here in 1975 yeah uh the, the, i mean I, i'm not gonna read into it too much because again not that kind of movie but like no matter like no matter how you slice it this is a little bit questionable it's like that that person is like thirty minutes old. And yeah, like, I, I, we're rushing things a little, aren't we? Yeah. Nor nor do they seem capable of expressing themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. But yeah. So this is where we get um Brad and Janet going into separate rooms, and this is my this is probably my favorite stretch of the movie. This is pretty great. Um. I uh. So yeah, we've got we throw uh Janet into her own room, and then Brad gets his own room, and then. Uh, I, I don't know if something happens in between. It's not really that important, but uh, Brad, uh, go ahead. Ro- Rocky gets spooked by Riff Raff, who approaches him yes. with a candelabra, and he it spooks him. Like, it's done very intentionally. Riff Raff is just fucking with him, mm-hmm. um, and he, he runs off into the courtyard, and they uh, they do the Mr. Burns of releasing the hounds on him, Yeah, and we just cut back every once in a while, again, to just pad out in the movie a little bit mm-hmm. of just a muscular man running away from dogs. And uh, we see that uh, Riff Raff and Magenta have this, like, salute that they Yeah, each it's other. so fucking weird. So I'll try to describe it. So what they do is they come up, place their hands at about uh, head height against each other, and then they move in, and then they touch elbows. And that's, like, their, their little handshake or their little, you know, little thing. Yeah, it, it's a thing that they do uh, every now and again. I think it's to signal to us, the viewer, that the two of them are in cahoots yeah. in, in some fashion, even though they're the servants. Uh, but yeah, we cut back and forth between that and uh, our guests in their own rooms. And by the way, the, I, I don't think they're ever fully clothed for the remainder of the movie. No, nobody um, is. <laughs> yeah, no, nobody, nobody is. is. Um, Nobody's wearing clothes. Um, but yeah, this is where we get a couple of really beautiful scenes where it the comedy is is spot on because we get the dialogue is basically the same just with names changed and it's two it's the same scene back to back just with two different pairings mm-hmm. so initially it's a uh, janet and frankenfurt are disguised as brad yeah. so it's done really well because like the the way her bed is set up the way janet's bed is set up is it has this curtain around it and the camera's viewing all the action like through this thinly veiled curtain so we mostly just see people's silhouettes in very little detail. And we see someone come in with Brad's hairdo and glasses, and it has Barry Boswick's voice, and then just, like, very promptly, like, gets on top of her, and she's like, oh, Brad, I'm so glad to see you. And then she, like, puts her hand on his head, and it turns out it's a wig and glasses, and it's Frankenfurter, and then the voice turns back into Tim Curry. And then the dialogue, what makes it so awesome is the fact that we play out the same scene. Yeah. 
like with the exact same dialogue yeah. two different times but the outcome is slightly different i love the uh it's you i'm afraid so <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it nice what isn't it nice <laughs> um and then i love the i like when she asks what have you done with brad nothing why do you think i should yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking perfect <laughs> No, like the whole thing is is fantastic, but seeing it twice with yeah. two different pairings is, makes it makes it all the more better. Because Janet's reaction is like she's not having it. Like he comes in for smooches every once in a while, and like she, she's like, okay, that's fun, but no, I must save myself for Brad. <laughs> Dude, uh, it's interesting. Again, 1975, kind of crazy that uh, this happened. But he like throws her legs up in the air, which is like okay, you don't really see that in movies. Uh, and then when he goes over to Barry Boswick's room, again, nothing. Why? Do you think I should? Um, he, <laughs> what have you done to Janet? <laughs> nothing. <Yeah. laughs> but he does the same thing to Barry Boswick, throws his legs up in the air. It doesn't stop there uh, because we get a um, like an alert. It's like, Master, uh, Rocky is loose on the grounds. And he, what's going on? He's like, oh, don't worry about it. We definitely get some head going down uh, on Barry Boswick as well. Who does yeah, submit? Actually, he does submit. <laughs> he does. Uh, he does submit. Uh, he does end up being o- a little bit more okay with it than he thought he would be. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting because it, it's it's subtle. Like you, I could totally see you just kind of missing it and getting swept up in the energy of things. But yeah, at one point, I think one of his last lines before we cut away, uh, before the the camera like the monitor pops on with riffraff, uh, is like, I think it's like okay but don't tell janet mm-hmm. um as as frankenfurter is headed down south like, yeah. like it's like, oh okay but don't tell janet it's like oh okay okay brad <laughs> like, yeah, you're like very poor choice of words <laughs> but like, in a strange way it's kind of normalizing bisexuality a little bit which at this time definitely was not a thing definitely not something that people were talking about like even as an option like Oh, absolutely. No, like, very, very transgressive for for 1975, especially. Like, even today, like, some of the stuff is, like, you play it to the right audience, they're going to be like, oh, most unorthodox. Most unorthodox. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, that was that was a fun little, little bit, though. That it's just, like, having the same scene play out and having her, like, be defensive the whole time. But then seeing Brad just kind of like, okay, fine. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Uh, well, it makes more sense of why he was kind of uh, flustered at the beginning before he proposed to uh, Janet, you know. Uh, well, and, and as a representative of, like, your, I, I don't know, Joe Average or yeah. whatever, it's it's kind of interesting to, to see the way his character plays out through the end of it. Because, like, he's he's still, like, waffling a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Like, he, he's, he's t- thoroughly in it. Yeah. But he like the things that are coming out of his mouth suggest that there's there's still like a sense of obligation that he can't quite just dive right in. Yeah, dude, you've taken a step in a direction you can't walk backwards from, but you're still trying to play. You're still trying to, exactly. Yeah, it, it doesn't work anymore. You you can't do that. Um, but yeah, this is where we get uh, Janet and Rocky uh, coming up. But I do like before we get to Janet and Rocky, we see uh, Brad and Frank. I've just been calling him Frank. Uh, uh, Frank post-coital, which is pretty funny. Um, I think somebody shows her, and she's like, oh, no, Brad. <laughs> yeah, she she sees it on a monitor, and yeah, yeah that's kind of her reaction. <laughs> she's like, oh, oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, come on, Brad. <laughs> um, Actually, yeah, we do have, I think, one fuck in this movie. 
uh, one utterance of the F word. Uh, it kind of caught me off guard. It's very subtle. It slipped in there, but we do have a fuck. It's surprising. I didn't catch that. I mean, uh, I can see why this when, would be rated R just in general. But. Yeah, I'll, I'll point it out when we get to it. Uh, I don't remember the exact lyrics, but I did catch a fuck, an F-bomb in there at some point. Uh, oh, there's a there's a big old dog in yeah. Kyle's neighborhood. Yeah, I know. Upstairs, I have new neighbors, and they have dogs, and they whine, and now they're barking. That is deeply upsetting to someone like Kyle, who is an experienced and loving dog owner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't even have the heart to... I can't. There's nothing you can do. It's just part of having a dog. Um, but yes, this sequence is probably... like If we didn't have the cutbacks between with uh, Columbia and Magenta, this is my least favorite song. Um, and I think it's mostly because of the, like you said, the pitch that Susan Sarandon's singing in in this. It's just really high pitch the whole time yeah i was telling kyle this before we started recording that um i had never heard susan sarandon sing before um i've heard her voice plenty of times she has she has a wonderful speaking voice like, she does like yeah. when she does strictly just like voiceover work it's like she always stands out and she's always appreciated but i was really happy to hear that like oh shit she got some pipes mm-hmm. like she can actually sing too uh, so that was nice but yeah the 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 pitch that she hits um, her character's supposed to be like the consummate innocent at the beginning of the film, and this is their turning point. Um, but it it feels like this was the song where maybe maybe that pitch should have reflected that transition or something, because she kind of stays at at that like I don't know, almost like saccharine, like like overly sweet t- like tone throughout the entire film, and it, it it's it's just a little grating, honestly. <laughs> I guess you could think of it as elated. Uh, like she's definitely much like higher pitched. Like she could just be in ecstasy because that's what the that's what the song. Basically, she lost her V card to Frankenfurter, and now she's like wanting to jump Brocky's bones. And he's a big dumb idiot with abs, so he's just like, Ugh, yeah, this is a good idea. <laughs> um, yeah, I I I don't know. I, I think you could have tweaked tweaked the pitch a little bit. Like maybe maybe. Because, like, from a physical standpoint, the blocking of the scene, like, that's something Kyle and I haven't been going on about too much is, like, the choreography and the blocking of a lot of these musical numbers. Uh, a lot of it's not super, like, fanciful or, or technical, honestly. Like, some of it is is downright, like, kind of flat. Uh, but, like, certain numbers, like Hot Patootie, like, we, we really do, like put the camera in fun places there's a really cool energy to it like they mount the camera on a meatloaf's motorcycle at one point and he's mm-hmm. like riding around the room it almost looks like a sam raimi movie uh, during those sequences yeah. and then obviously sweet transvestite has some really awesome edits and and some pretty solid choreography time warp as well like uh has really good energy to it uh this one is more subdued um but like in terms of like like the movements and like the physical acting, like Susan Sarandon really she really sells the fuck out of it. But I kind of wish that her her voice had followed suit, mm-hmm. or like she get, got a little bit a little bit more, like I don't know, not not sexy. I'm trying to find the right word for it, but she's kind of like swept up in it, I guess. Yeah, like lose, losing control a little bit more. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, having having a magenta and Columbia uh, dipping in like via these quick edits is actually a lot of fun it does add a lot of energy to something that otherwise would be kind of boring to look at um and it's just kind of fun having them 
like these <laughs> these two people who come from a totally different world uh, than than Janet like watching her and kind of like mocking like yeah. this is all new to her yeah she's like <laughs> she's never she's like uh uh-uh. uh like oh uh uh-uh. right, whatever <laughs> yeah and they're having a good laugh about it but now uh, Kyle I'm curious what you thought about this because this is where we get uh we revisit that rainbow imagery because when we get to banging it's in it's in the rainbow tub yeah uh so so the camera is viewing the action through the glass of the tub so we get that rainbow pattern put over the screen but um when rocky is mounting her uh (laughs) (laughs) i I like how i'm trying to talk about this as if it's like high art yeah (laughs) when rocky's about to fuck her in the tub (laughs) yeah (laughs) in the rainbow tub in the rainbow tub yes (laughs) um when when he is fucking her in the rainbow tub, uh, we get some shots from her perspective. Yeah. Of a, uh, uh, I think the the line is, uh, was it, child of the night or something of the night creature of the creature night. of the night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the person that she's seeing hovering above her changes between like, it goes from Rocky to, to Brad. Brad to Frankenfurter to Riffraff to Magenta to like everyone in the cast. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious, like if that's like a, I don't know, an allusion to like pansexuality or something, or bisexuality or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think in this it would be more along the lines of bisexuality because we're not really dealing dealing with like gender identity necessarily in this. Um, but yeah, not not in this movie. No. no. Um, yeah, I think it. Yeah, because we definitely get um, from what would tra- what would be whoever is on the bottom. It, we're getting that perspective of those faces yeah yeah as just because it's not one that you would get in pornography it's not, you're not getting that view um, well in 1975 especially like yeah. you the logistics of putting a 1975 camera in in the mountie position is not yeah it's you just couldn't do it <laughs> like we did we didn't have mini dv cams yet yeah i mean maybe for the novelty of it um just kind of put going from that perspective and it could be touching on that as well uh but i'm not not entirely sure i haven't really, i didn't really give it too much thought but i did note that that was an interesting camera angle oh, i i think it my theory is it ties into the very end of the movie like like some of the theming anyway but yeah. we'll we'll get there when we get there yeah. but yeah uh, the the musical number by the way is called touch a touch a touch a touch me yeah i forgot that touch, may touch, have been touch, one too many touch me. that yeah. may have been one too many touches but Fuck off. It's like it's like trying it's like trying to spell Mississippi. It's like I S S I S S I M I S S I S S I P P I. Yeah. Banana na na That song helped me learn how to help me remember how to spell banana. B A N A N A S. Yes, bananas. I was always curious of what would happen if you tried to play the the banana song with a kid named Tucker. You put an F in for the first letter. Banana fana fofana. Oh, <laughs> Tucker 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 <laughs> fucker. Yeah, you you're not getting to the end of that end of that line without saying fucker. Yeah, not in a classroom. <laughs> not in a classroom. Yeah, that'd be funny. You get like the 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 comedy three beat. You get the first one. Uh, Lisa 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 Bobisa, and then Johnny 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 Bobani Tucker. Go to the next person. <laughs> <laughs> How about back to Johnny? <laughs> Get that kid out of here. Rick. <laughs> uh, we're going to go to Alex. 
Uh, but yeah, uh, that's that's her big musical number, basically from the movie. She she accompanies a lot of the other songs, but that's like her one big solo yeah. piece. Um, but and then uh, I think this is is this where our uh, we get, our doctor, yeah, secondary doctor gets introduced. Yes, this is where we get bogged down because I think we forgot to mention that they were going to see Doctor Scott. This is the guy they were going to see that they got lost uh, going to see. Did we pass a castle back there? And um, <laughs> he comes to the house and. He gets, uh, this is where Frankenfurter kind of um, approaches Brad and Jan. He's like, oh, you didn't tell me that you were going to see Dr. Scott, uh, a guy who's a part of your F, I think he alludes that he's part of the FBI. Uh, I think they, like, were at the university together, and then Frankenfurter somehow knows that the doctor's part of the FBI. This actually got me thinking about that uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the one with Matthew McConaughey in it, where the whole ending goes to shit and it turns into like a, a situation where the Texas chainsaw family is like working for the CIA or something. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It goes totally off the rails. I saw the ridiculousness of that second one. And I, that's, that's as far as I'm going uh, with, with that franchise. Yeah. I mean, that's where Toby Hooper dips out. So it's like, you may as well call it good after that. You're fine. Uh, yes. Uh, and this is where we get Dr. Scott and, um, they like, they see him on the screen and, uh, uh, Riff Raff asks him, do you know this earthling <clears throat> person? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good beat. Um, I do like, he's like, oh no, he's in the Zen room, which the Zen room just has weed in it. Um, but they turn on this big magnet that is probably the goofiest thing in a movie that I've seen. Yeah, this is what you'd call filler, but this is also potentially expensive filler because... Like, not only are we going about, like, filming a man in a wheelchair backwards, which, you know, logistically could be a little hazardous, could take a little bit of time. Uh, we're also showing other parts of the castle, which requires, you know, having other sets to visit and things like that. We get to see the 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 breadth and depth of a magenta in Columbia's room. But um, I love Frankenfurter pulling all the levers to, to yeah. get the magnet operating. Like, he, he gives, like... A, Ugh. every like every every step of the tug it's pretty great and he kicks up his heels at one point it, it tim curry really sells the fuck out of it. but uh we get some like sitar music playing over over dr scott being wheeled around the mansion in his wheelchair and then we get almost like a looney tunes beat of yet another person kool-aid manning their way into the movie in the form of this wheelchair bound doctor smashing through the tiled wall of the operating theater it's a very efficient way of getting a character from point A to point B, that's for yeah. sure. Um, but this is where we get one of my favorite beats, like I think. Master dinner is this, served. I, is is this where we get everybody saying each other's names? It might <laughs> Dr. Be. Scott! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Janet! Brad! <laughs> yeah. We just, yeah. Rocky! <laughs> yeah, it's just going all around the room. It's uh, yeah. it's it's phenomenal. It's, it just goes on and on and on. It's so fucking stupid. Uh, yeah, it's a real naked gun. It's like a it's a it's a Leslie Nielsen bit kind of thing. Oh, yeah. very much. Yeah. So. I mean, it's borderline. Like I, I'm pretty sure Family Guy ripped this off. Oh, a few times. Family Guy's ripped off a lot of stuff. Um, but yes, we this is where we learned that Eddie was uh, Doctor Scott's nephew. Um, and we're having like this whole argument conversation in this room and I love this is one of my favorite parts is where Magenta comes in to let them know that dinner is served it's because she's just like not reading the room at all but also like super excited like to tell them so she comes in and she bangs this gong real loud she's like master dinner is prepared like real proud of herself like she did it so well 
and it's just like really obnoxious and he's just like okay it's it's, <laughs> it's pretty funny uh, I, I like that um i think he has a line something along the lines of like under the circumstances like dinner attire is not required and then we just like hard cut to them at this like ancient dinner table like from an old castle set and like Susan Sarandon's still in her bra and panties Barry Bostwick is still in his undies like Rocky's in his golden like what do you even call these shorts like, uh they're fembot shorts whatever the fembots yeah, wear yeah the, the equivalent of fembot attire yeah um but yeah like nobody nobody looks like they belong on this castle set it's pretty it's pretty awesome just from a visual standpoint but uh yeah, this, this scene was, like, where I, I started to check out a little bit, even, which was kind of surprising, actually, because I actually like this song. Um, the song itself is fun, but what I was being distracted by was the, the blocking. Mm-hmm. Is that, unfortunately, the person who's leading the song, the Dr. Scott, uh, is wheelchair-bound. Mm-hmm. So he's he's only able to do, like, above-the-waist dance moves. Yeah. And then, like, in terms of, like, camera movement, there isn't a whole lot of it. We're, we're like, doing some quick cuts... Uh, to people's reactions and their their additions to the song and whatnot but it just lacks a little bit of energy in terms of like the cinematography and the edits um but the song is good yeah. like the the eddie the, i really actually like the eddie song eddie's and, teddy yeah <laughs> yeah it's a good one i like it <laughs> uh yeah we get that wound i did uh, wound i did <laughs> uh yeah it's fun uh but then we get uh my next note is the medusa machine yeah, uh, this is where the movie kind of decides yeah. it's had enough of itself. Yeah. Like, the movie says, we gotta wrap this shit up. Yeah. <laughs> so, instead of pretending we have a plot, we're just gonna do stuff that we want to do now. So, I think the dinner scene ends, and basically Dr. Scott makes it known that uh, Eddie uh, was his nephew, and Eddie sent him a letter uh, that we get the pleasure of hearing Meatloaf read via song. Um, it's basically alluding to there being aliens in a castle and something bad about to happen to him. And uh, before the accusations could go any further, though, uh, Frank Furter pulls the tablecloth off the table. And by the way, the the whole dinner scene made me think of the Burbs uh, when they finally go in the house. And oh yeah, what what was the spread that's on the pretzels or whatever? Sardines. Yeah, I always thought that looked so fucking gross yeah. like the way tom hanks puts it in his mouth it, it just as a kid i thought that was like that was like nickelodeon kind of I, <laughs> I eat sardines all the time that's way better than tuna they're they're so much better they're really good but from a visual standpoint yeah. that just looked terrible but yes they are actually quite delicious yeah <laughs> I, I had them for lunch yesterday actually um yeah yeah no i agree wholeheartedly i i think uh much like disco uh, the cartoons of of our respective childhoods uh, kind of poisoned the reputation of sardines. Mm-hmm. Where it, no anchovies was the one. Yeah, anchovies. Uh, yeah. The the rep the repetition of the Ninja Turtles always shitting on anchovies. I think turned a lot of kids off of t- off of even trying them. And same goes for disco. I seem to remember a lot of like '90s cartoons shitting on disco. Abba's like, Abba is fucking awesome. They, they, I fucking love disco. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off with that noise, animaniacs. Abba's great. Uh, get, yeah, it, listen to SOS and not get that fucking chorus stuck in your head. Come on. Gosh, for fuck's sake, I was listening to the Commodores. Just, just <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> that reminds me of Rush Hour Two. <laughs> <laughs> Machine gun, motherfucker. We've got look we've, it up. We've got Lionel Richie. Lionel Richie hasn't been black since the Commodores. 
I don't know what that means, but I just always remember that line from the movie. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, uh, yeah, the tablecloth gets pulled off of uh, the dinner table, and uh, we find a, uh, a really shitty prop of uh, Eddie's mangled corpse in, like, a glass coffin underneath the table. And uh, everybody freaks out and starts screaming. Uh, I think Dr. Scott and uh, Brad uh, try to run away, and then, uh, for whatever the fuck reason, uh, Frankenfurter makes a beeline for Janet, and she gets an entire song dedicated to her uh, being told to wise up. Uh, wise up, Janet Wise. Um, I, oh, a fun little uh, a bit of dialogue earlier in the movie when uh, Brad and Janet are first meeting uh, Frankenfurter is, uh, I think Brad introduces her for her. Like, he introduces Janet, like, for her. Like, he speaks for her. And instead of Weiss, he, he says Janet Weiss. Yeah, Janet Weiss. Janet. I that <laughs> She's too. like, Weiss? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what that was all about. I caught that, too. I'm like, is she German? Like, why would you say Weiss? It was, I don't... It might be an allusion to, like, I don't know, kink or something. Uh, or or it could just be making fun of the fact that it's like, you guys are getting married and he doesn't mm. know your last name. <laughs> yeah, either way, it either way it was funny. Um, but yeah, uh, Frank and Furter, like chases her up onto the staircase and uh, uh, he sings, uh, the song is listed as Planet Schmanet Janet, uh, parentheses, wise up. You better wise up. Janet Weiss. <laughs> um, and this is where he chases her into the operating theater and uh, things really get get moving here because we got to go. We got to get to the finale. But um, the entire cast essentially reassembles in the operating theater. Um, and this is where uh, Frankenfurter starts turning on uh, yet another gadget. He only has the one control panel, but it, it houses all of the gadgets. Like, it does all the things. It can create life. Uh, it can pull wheelchair bound people from across the room uh it can glue people to the floor it can turn them into marble it can do literally all the things um and yeah he like pulls a lever and it causes people's feet to be stuck in place so they can't run away and i think uh, the song transitions into planet hot dog uh, i think that's what this this musical number is and this had i think the line that made me laugh the hardest um it comes from barry bostwick and it's a what is it you you are you may be a hot dog but but don't hurt her frank furter <laughs> don't hurt her frank furter yeah but just the way barry bostwick he, he can't move his feet so he's stuck in place but he's gesticulating with his his upper torso and just the timing of him like but don't hurt her and then he like punches with the words frank Furter. Yeah. <laughs> it's just for whatever reason that, that really got to me. I thought it was hilarious. But uh, one by one, he turns like all of our heroes, quote unquote, uh, into marble. Starting with Brad, then on to Doctor Scott, and then uh, even Janet gets the marble treatment as well. Um, and then uh, we, I think Columbia comes in the room, and she she throws a hissy fit. Yeah. If, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, and she's uh, uh, when she's talking. Uh, <laughs> it's I don't even know what it is. It's like a cartoon character for. It's like a nineteen forties cartoon character talking. It, it's very like Betty Boopish or something. Yeah, uh, it's it's very close to. Hey Kyle, you want to hear the most annoying sound? It in the really world? yeah. It's it's there. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty obnoxious. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it has like that that Harley Quinn or like Lucille Ball or Betty Boop kind of vibe to it. 
Uh, but yeah, her, I think she comes into the room and she like she she's really pissed off at Frankfurter uh, because she she says that she loved him, uh, that she's very jealous of of the fact that her affection affections have not been returned um, in favor of Eddie and now Rocky, um, and she she has she has quite a bit of lines here some something just basically talking about how like it's all about you and how like something about you you like poison every relationship you ever form like you you're a terrible person basically yeah. it's like eh, i can't argue that <laughs> like, like he, he, he killed a guy yeah, Brick <laughs> killed a guy um he uh so he induces everybody and i like it's it's not easy having a good time even smiling makes my face ache <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it's just a funny line. Yeah, that's a fourth wall line as well. Yeah, Tim Curry looks directly into the camera for those, and they even uh, they even give uh, Rocky the uh, the marble treatment as well. And there's a, a bizarre edit when they flip when they flick the switch, and it's like one frame of of the word I think Medusa because that's like the name of the device that does this to people. But they just insert this one frame of the word, and it's it's like some Fight Club shit or something. <laughs> like I actually backed it up and rewatched it because I was like, "Hang on, I saw something there." Was that? I a, don't know why it's there. Was that a nice big cock? No, it said Medusa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Um, but yeah, uh, I think we. I think Frankfurter made reference uh, to the. I forget the exact wording of what he says, but it's it's not stage show. It's it's something show. Um, but yeah, we, we like basically do a hard cut to the stage show, essentially. I like the, uh, the frazzled, uh, Frankenfurter with his mate. He hasn't had his face on yet. Like he's just trying to like, uh, dress up everybody's Medusa statues, which is funny. Him just going down the line. But yeah, we can really step on the gas moving forward because like I said, this is really where the movie starts to be bogged down. Um, yeah, I, I, I wish... I wish I had like a lyric sheet laid out in front of me because I did find this kind of interesting, like trying to key in on what was trying to be imparted to us via the lyrics. Because uh, I'm not gonna lie, folks at home, like this this month is asking quite a bit of me personally. Um, I have a serious problem when it comes to lyrics uh, for songs. It's very hard for me to to retain them. Mm. Um, you've probably noticed I've been struggling to directly quote a lot of the lyrics from the movie, and it, it's because. I can listen to something a thousand times and still just not get it. Yeah, like it's it, it comes from me like my ears keying in on the melodies and instrumentation just more, just a little bit more than the lyrics, such that it just doesn't get embedded in my memory the same way that a, a tune does. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. Uh, lyrics are difficult for me to learn as well. I focus more on the actual melody and the music. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, but this is Rose tints my world i think they one by one get uh unmedusid and they each get their own verse um and i'm looking through the lyrics now i want to say it's basically everybody who previously had some hang-ups or some issues coming into the movie is now very much at peace yeah like like they're just good with everything like they're they're in a, a place of peace and harmony in their mind and with themselves um the one exception to that and the lyrics speak otherwise but his like his like the quavering like the quivering in his voice and uh his his body language barry bostwick's character you can tell he's still has a little bit of resistance left in him Mm -hmm. um but like everybody is is basically dressed up like they're doing like a burlesque show or something and 
uh, yeah, the, I, I think the idea is that all of, all of their previous barriers or hangups have been removed. So all, all of their various hangups that they've expressed throughout the movie up until this point, Columbia included, like she's very much just good with things now. Um, and it's, it's very, except for the case of Janet, like it's kind of vague as to what they're alluding to. I mean, you, it's obvious what they're implying, but yeah. in Janet's case, it's like very explicit. It's like I had sex yeah. and it was good, and I want more. <laughs> um, but seeing Barry Bostwick like be conflicted and like I think uh, during this finale, like during this final act of the film, like he keeps using the phrase, he keeps like screaming out for mommy <laughs> so it's like it's like it's like he said like it's like he crossed some sort of threshold but there's still like a part of him like some some deeply embedded part of him that is like still looking for the okay that it's okay mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> like mommy i don't understand it's like you do just yeah. just go with it <laughs> uh, everybody has their own little song and then um this is where frank and furters in the in the in the pool and they all kind of join him in the pool and this is where it's give yourself over to absolute pleasure i'm like okay then we've got like a did you see the under the pool i don't know what uh i can't remember the painting it's like god creating man where it's like god and the dude about like just about to touch fingers um i don't know what that has to do with anything but it's definitely in the bottom (laughs) it's just at the bottom of the pool but yeah this is where they're all just kind of frolicking around in the in the pool yeah i think I think that's important to point out, though, because like actually, actually, this imagery kind of made me think of the the very early Cronenberg movie, David Cronenberg of uh, uh, Shivers, mm-hmm. where it's it's a uh, you've you've seen that one, haven't you, Brad? I, uh, Kyle, <laughs> sorry, it's been a long week. Uh, no, I haven't. It seen has that been. One. <laughs> okay, well, it's basically zombies that really, really, really want to bang, and uh, the finale of the movie is a, a legion of like horny zombies uh, attacking someone in a pool basically hmm. and it's scary like it, it's unnerving but like even if all they want to do is fuck you it's like i don't want that many people to fuck me like that that's a lot of people <laughs> like i don't have the energy for that jesus <laughs> but um but yeah the 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 phrase that's repeated over and over and over again is uh, don't dream it be it yeah uh d- delivered by tim curry over and over and over again and uh, the scene that plays out is is him in this pool uh, with all of the principal cast members just kind of like frolicking and smooching each other. And again, we cut to Barry Bostwick like questioning, like, am I okay with this? Yeah. Yes, I, I think I am. Am I okay with this? Col- but he's like, yeah. he's the only one guy now. Columbia is fucking into it. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, but just this image of of all these people like just like pairing up. It doesn't doesn't matter who they're paired up with. Just every everybody loves each other. Mm-hmm. Like everybody everybody is showing each other love and affection. It, it's a very foreign image, especially for 1975, yeah. to just have a pool full of people that are all all right yeah. with with doing all this. Um, but yeah, that 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 refrain of uh, "Don't dream it, be it." It's it's almost like a this is like imagery of like a, a dream achieved or something. Mm-hmm. It's like almost like a semi-utopian vision or something. It's like yeah. a, like just discarding any judgment or, or hatred at the door and just everybody love everybody. Everybody love everybody. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, but then it, the party comes crashing down, of course. Uh, Riff Raff and Magenta don't approve of Frankenfurter's lifestyle. Um, and then he gets his last song, which I kind of... I'd, I, 
I kind of like uh, Frankenfurter's last song before he dies. Like it's 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 kind of nice. Uh, I think this is I'm going home. Yeah. Yeah. A wild and untamed thing uh, happens between uh, "Don't Dream It, Be It" and "I'm Going Home." Uh, it's basically the second half. It's kind of like the second half of Layla or something. Where mm-hmm. It's it's two halves, but they're actually two distinct things. Um, <clears throat> It, that's where the energy level really kicks up when we almost get like the chorus line like like the almost like a can can type situation in terms of choreography uh it's a really catchy chorus for sure uh really really picks up the pace and has a good energy to it but yeah the, the i'm going home uh portion of it i was i was curious what you thought of this imagery because uh, i'm not positive what it, it's alluding to but yes uh riffraff and magenta both show up uh in their uh, sci-fi outfits now uh, they've discarded uncle knickknack's summer wardrobe for the winter wardrobe and now they're dressed up like old-fashioned 1950s space aliens complete with uh, uh i think it's neat that the uh, the american gothic image comes back in the form of his his laser gun being a mm-hmm. uh was it a, a hay uh pitchfork pitchfork there we go yeah um but yeah he's pointing a ray gun at, at frankenfurter and i can't remember exactly what the grievance is but the phrase uh like you've gone too far is used uh in regards to frankenfurter's ambitions for i'm guessing the world or something mm-hmm. it's like we can't have everybody loving each other that's just not right it's like are you sure about that yeah. <laughs> it's like, i'm pretty sure it's okay but whatever um so i'm not entirely sure what the, where the conflict is coming from but uh, the i'm going home song is is like a it's a downer mm-hmm. like it's it's like the one true downer on the on the soundtrack and it's all tim curry and then the imagery changes where Riff Raff and magenta disappear from by the way this is all being performed on a literal stage yeah empty empty theater but it is being performed on a stage but Riff Raff and magenta disappear from the crowd and then the seats are filled in by a bunch of elderly folks mm-hmm. uh, that that look like a traditional theater crowd, but like from the 1940s or 50s or something. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like, did you get, do you have a explanation for what that might be alluding to? I don't, um, I don't know what it's alluding to really, but I just like him doing the performance for everybody. And then he kind of gets like kind of brought back to reality with everything. But yeah, I'm not entirely sure what it's supposed to be. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that everybody, uh, despite being elderly and seemingly from a, an earlier time period, everybody very much approved of him and was treating him like he was famous. Like people are like reaching out, like asking for autographs and mm-hmm. stuff, but they look like an old timey theater crowd or something. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's like a projection of like an ideal circumstance or something well, i just like tim curry's performance here as well like i like him singing the song but he definitely i could definitely see why he would be really good as a stage actor because of, of his face and how he's so expressive um and yeah i just i just like that that portion of it very fascinating filmography because like he's multifaceted in the extreme like he he seems to be capable of virtually anything you ask him to do but yes he actually he does have like a a big quality to everything he does that's what that's what he seems to excel at um but he had such a long stretch of doing things largely targeted at very young people it's like but like he was extremely successful at it so it's like i don't know how he feels about that but i mean say what you will like the man really stood out among a lot of people's childhood like media diets yeah. <laughs> like like 
like Muppet Treasure Island and Home Alone 2 and the Stephen King's It and stuff. And if, <laughs> I know there's at least two people out there listening that are like super hyped about Congo. <laughs> like, <laughs> he he was actually what made uh, Congo unwatchable for me it was him doing that stupid accent. That is not a Romanian accent. Uh, speaking from experience, uh, no, that is not what that sounds like. <laughs> but that's what he chose to go with. Um, that that's I think he was doing more of like a Ukrainian accent, but yeah, I mean, him being told not to eat the the sesame cake, mm, cinematic gold, <laughs> Delroy Lindo, <laughs> stop eating my sesame cake. <laughs> it's fantastic, but yeah, uh, this song has a very different flavor to it, and uh, just from a pure acting standpoint, like not just in terms of like quality of sound and whatnot, like just his his facial acting, he really embraces the emotionality yeah. of it. And it feels like a, like a, I don't know, a very emotional farewell. Like, I don't really understand the circumstances of it, but the character does, and really that's all that matters. Um, but yeah, uh, Riff Raff and Magenta, uh, they shoot Columbia with the ray gun, um, and it, it the special effects are done exactly how you'd imagine based on the costuming. It's just like someone took a red crayon on the film and drew over it. Um but then uh, there have been numerous uh, allusions uh, to like older Hollywood films and B-movies in general. Um, one of our last images uh, before, uh, before Frankenfurter makes his proper exit uh, is a straight-up reference to King Kong. In fact, the set that they're performing on has the RKO Tower I, on it. I forgot to mention, it says RKO in the background. Yeah. It actually just straight up says that an RKO is meant. RKO and King Kong and Fay Ray are all mentioned on the soundtrack, um, and Tim Curry's character I think even mentions being um, like wanting wanting to be Fay Ray like, basically, or whatever happened to Fay Ray. Yeah, yeah, whatever happened to Fay Ray, and like looking at the the dress that she was wearing and and wanting that for himself. Um, and yeah, uh, he gets shot with the ray gun and then Rocky flips out and carries him up the RKO tower on the stage and starts grunting like King Kong and they, they shoot him with the ray gun and the whole tower comes down. And so he, he gets his Fay Ray ending, although he doesn't live. <laughs> I, I'm w- wondering how much of this movie, I mean, this is, uh, uh, the dude who plays Riff Raff. This is his brainchild. Uh, I found some photo, like f- some photos of him, uh, like just contemporary, uh, Surprisingly, uh, to me, uh, he's married to a woman. Uh, I was not expecting him to be straight, honestly. I don't know why, but that's what I assumed. But it does appear that he cross-dresses. I think that's something that he does. And I think putting himself into the, you know, into making the songs, like, I wish I could wear what, you know, Faye Ray was wearing, that kind of makes sense. And... Maybe growing up in the theater, these are the types of personalities that you're around, like uh, Frankenfurter who wants the spotlight kind of thing. Yeah, I, I could totally see that. Um, apparently, he wrote the the script for the original stage show when he was out of work, so it was just like a keep busy project. It ended up becoming his legacy. But um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these characters were pulled from personal experience mm-hmm. and and. Yeah, like, like I said, the the opening song in particular has that kind of like nostalgic, sentimental tone to it that feels like it's speaking from the heart, um, from a perspective that we we don't really have much insight into. Mm-hmm. Like the the character singing that song is never seen on screen other than the lips, 
but it feels like it's coming from the author or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Frankenfurter and Rocky are both dead. Um, and then I think uh, this is where Riff Raff makes mention of the fact that um, he he didn't like him. Yeah, he never uh, liked yeah. me. He's like really angry about that. It's like it's kind of he's like supposed to feel bad about killing him, but he's just like yeah, he's just bitter about the whole thing. He never liked me. Yeah. Yeah, Magenta tries to questions the action of of killing everyone, and and Riff Raff comes back with that by saying like he never liked me. Um, and I was theorizing with Kyle before we started recording that's like you know that has to feel weird when you have someone like Frank Furter who is putting hands on everybody, yeah. like in a loving fashion, and then Riff Raff. We didn't mention that Riff Raff gets beat with a whip <laughs> at the midway point yeah. of his movie. Uh, so imagine being the one guy that this person who seemingly loves everyone uh, just is not interested in. That would probably make you feel pretty shitty. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe to the point that you want to pull a ray gun on them. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but oh, yeah, by the way, uh, Dr. Scott has this really awesome aside where uh, he... he awakens from his marble slumber backstage while the singing and dancing is going on and he speaks to himself he like speaks sings he shatnerizes and he's like going on about like he's doing the 1950s b-movie hero routine of being like i must resist the dark energies (laughs) like it's the only way to save the world but then like his one leg kicks up from his wheelchair and it's it's like clad in stockings and heels and he seems to be pretty all right with fine with it yeah I think from a thematic standpoint, though, that's that's really an important detail to notice, though. It's like, this is a wheelchair-bound man who is, quote, healed by embracing a certain angle of himself that maybe he was repressing or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the sentiments expressed by everybody during their individual individual segments of the stage show. It's like, each and every one of them seems to have grown or ha- have been healed in some fashion. But yeah, to have him just like casually kick his leg up, even though it's like, hang on, I thought you were in a wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he gives in to quote the the was it like was it absolute pleasure or whatever you want to call it. Yes. Um. Uh, but yeah, uh, Riff Raff and Magenta uh, basically transport the they they go back to planet transsexual slash Transylvania. Yeah. Like I forget the order of the words. Transsexual worth- Transylvania. Yes, transsexual Transylvania. Thank you. Um, that's that's where the aliens, uh, that would be Frankfurter and, and all the people in the in the castle, come from. Uh, and so the two of them are headed back there, and they take the castle with them. Uh, but our heroes, our, our uh, Brad and Janet and Dr. Scott, are spared that. They manage to escape, uh, so they don't go with the castle. And uh, the special effects used to transport the castle are not on the level of say a poltergeist uh-huh. um they're they're you know low budget doing the best with what they got but um that, that rainbow that that yep. gosh darn rainbow <laughs> rears its ugly head again and that's the symbol that plays over the castle as it's uh, evaporating into into the ether i guess you call it yeah and then we get our cast of characters over the opening track of uh, science uh, science fiction double feature which this movie is not a yeah. double feature which I always thought was interesting. I'm like, why is it double feature? Yeah, I, 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 not you mentioned it, I don't really know, but there is like a brief musical number, Superheroes, that plays over our heroes, like crawling around in the in the rubble. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess it's basically, basically the story is these people have 
like, like we said up top, like they experienced the Rocky Horror and are now forever changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it remains to be seen if they go out into the world and uh, sp- spread the spread what they learned or spread spread the uh, word or whatever you want to call it. I wonder how much of it was kind of meta, like being in the theater watching this. Because again, this is theater. Still, we're in the seventies. I don't know what theater was like back then. Like what 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 was happening. So maybe even as a as a show, this was kind of like, oh wow, this is kind of risque. Like that nobody's done anything like this before. So you, you are going to this theater experience, and then you're actually leaving, coming out feeling a little different. Like that's something. Like you experience it. Like wow, that was really really something. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if you know somebody like especially a parent or somebody who I don't know is is trying to find a safe space for somebody mm-hmm. like this a movie like this could be a, a a safe way to explore certain things yeah where it's just like hey some of these images or some of these concepts like you know it's it's not that weird i mean so you know imagine seeing tim curry do this performance live like in person like it would that would probably like it'd be pretty crazy to see it's like whoa this dude is really going for it here no, I mean the the man just radiates sexual energy. He's yeah. just like he's just throwing it. He's slanging it he's, all yeah, over the place. He is dick like, thrusting <laughs> sexuality at you. Yeah. No, like I had to like duck and cover a couple of times just <laughs> sitting at my computer. It's like Jesus, <laughs> yeah. give me a heads up, man. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it, it's I can see the novelty of it. Like it just being so bizarre in the theater. It's like yeah, you do come out the other side. Like you experience this. Now you have to go out in the world knowing that that this is now. This is free rent, dude. This thing lives rent free up here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure that that is an experience that most people go through with this movie, where it's just like, wow, I had never experienced those images or those concepts before, but now, now, now it's just there. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, it, and you know, and we're all better for it, honestly. <laughs> we we are, we really are. But I think that yeah. pretty much ends it. Yeah, it, it, actually, I think that's my takeaway. Is that it's like, hey, you know, you're not as weird as you think you are. <laughs> like, 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 really, it's like there's a place there. You know, just, yeah. it's it's not as out there as as you may have thought. Yeah, <laughs> honestly. Um, but yeah, what did you think as a on, on the whole? Uh, it's a fun one. Mm. Uh, on a technical level, it's it's not the most impressive film you'll ever watch. Uh, and even even in terms of like the arrangement of the songs, like I. There were a couple of lulls here and there where I wasn't totally into it. Um, Same. Here. A lot of that just a lot of that just came down to like the filmmaking, honestly. Though, mm-hmm. like that dinner scene, like I said, that was a that was an odd problem to run into. Where it's like, honestly, this is one of the better songs, but what's happening on the screen is is not terribly interesting. So I found myself like wanting a lot more out of that. Um, it does unfortunately maybe peak a little too early because mm-hmm. like it's two most memorable, most famous numbers are within the first 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, which is a bit of a problem when you still have, you know, what, 45, 60 minutes left in a movie. Um, and then having that downer beat just before the end is, is a weird, strange yeah. way to go out. Yeah. Weird way to go out. But from a thematic standpoint, maybe that's kind of the point, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's like we, we had all this raucous energy up front, and like we really had a lot of fun exploring things, but now it's like now yeah, it's time to pack yeah, it up said, and go home. Yeah, exactly. Come yeah. back down to reality, basically. And that's really interesting as a, as, as a way to present it. It's like we get here, it's super exciting, it's a lot of fun, and yeah, we're having fun while we're here, but 
now we have to go back out into the real world where this isn't normal. This is 1974. Yeah, this is not how we get to live. Yeah, we have to go back to that white-ass wedding chapel. <laughs> this has actually got layers to it. I didn't even consider that. No, it absolutely does, and I, I think we did an okay job of exploring some of it. Like, I think we this would have been better to have with somebody who has a, the, a background in theater or really enjoys musicals. Because I'll be honest, I'm not a huge musical guy. Like, I have a very small list of musicals that I care for. Uh, but <laughs> I had to tell you, so I went to a wedding uh, last weekend, and the the groom uh, was a bit of a theater guy once he uh, in, in high school and college, and. I didn't realize that uh, he had invited uh, a nice little group of his theater people. So we have having the dance portion of the evening, you know, about 6 to 10. And I'm like, all right, well, it's about 10 o'clock. That's usually when they wrap these things up. No. And he's like, now we're going to start the karaoke portion of the evening. I'm like, hold up. Now, this is something that I've talked about with my partner about doing. I'm like, I think karaoke would be a lot of fun to have at a wedding. That and skee-ball uh, wedding reception <laughs> is uh, having karaoke because that could be fun. People getting drunk and singing. Um, but I'm like, they're going to do karaoke. I'm like, three people are going to do anything because nobody was dancing. Like, hardly anybody was dancing. Nobody's going to be doing karaoke. And then it clicked. I'm like, oh, they're a theater people. Karaoke is like crack to theater people. Like... The world has to hear my gift. Well, I have to get up there and sing. Uh, but the DJ was a terrible DJ. He was not picking good songs. And he just, like, just just this big dude with a beard. And he was just kind of like, okay. Like, just, like, no energy. Just kind of sitting there letting it, letting the songs go. And he was doing the karaoke. He's like, all right, so we don't have anybody up next. Do you want me to do a, a fast one or a slow one? And he puts on Shout. And then he sang Shout. And he fucking crushed it. It was amazing. Like we were just like, wow. Like he was hitting all the notes, and he didn't he didn't miss a beat. It was incredible. Uh, it ended up being a lot of fun. But yeah, theater theater people karaoke is like crack. They fucking love that shit. Yeah, I I went to a wedding with the girlfriend uh, not too long ago. Uh, also theater people. Um, no no karaoke though. Mm. But uh, let me ask you, Kyle. Did they play Total Eclipse of the Heart? Did anybody do that one? Which which one's that one? Turn Turn. No, if they would have, I would have been laughing. Uh, I mean, you gotta, and then you gotta insert the word fucking in there. Yeah, yeah get a little bit terrified. I fucking need you now tonight. I see the fucking look. I do it every time I hear it. <laughs> every around, single time. I see the fucking look in your eyes. Did he just say fuck? No. Uh, no, uh, one of them did Hamilton, uh, which I was like... Oh, yeah, Hamilton. I could see that. But whatever song they ended on was actually great. The The woman who sang it, just it was actually beautiful. Uh, it was like a really nice song to sing at a wedding to close the night, and she crushed it. I'm like, it was actually really... It was it was really nice because they actually knew how to sing, so they made it a little yeah. bit more fun. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, his drunk uncle, the groom's drunk <laughs> uncle, who must be a singer. like He does some kind of singing, but he's well into his 50s, maybe even early 60s. But love isn't always on time. You know that song? Dun, dun. Yes. He did oh, that, yeah. and he fucking brought the house down. And he was drunk as shit while he was doing it, like going around the room, like stumbling, <laughs> <laughs> giving the microphone to people who do not want to sing. Oh, fuck. Like, get, yeah, he, he would, that, that motherfucker would find me. Get, he, gets that, <laughs> he gets that close, that really close arm around the shoulder and neck and gets you real close, like, yeah, get get it. <laughs> <laughs> Hold yeah, on. see, Kyle, that, that was actually a problem that I had 
as I was watching this film was because I had to explain to my girlfriend that like, I'm sorry, I watched Rocky Horror without you. I know you're into musicals and stuff. And I know you got to experience it like with the full experience, like in a theater with true fans and stuff. Like the problem with Rocky Horror is that that is Trevor out of his element. Like, <laughs> like, 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 I think I used the phrase on the phone with her, fuck off with your joy. <laughs> like, people, people moving around, people expressing themselves physically, yeah. joyfully, is just not my jam. Like, when people are exper- experiencing merriment and expressing joy with their bodies and their vocal cords in public, it's just like, can I, I just sit here and just, like, just enjoy the movie please <laughs> yeah when i when i when i see people like that i'm like were you just like beaten merciless, mercilessly as a child and you've just lost all grasp of reality because i would never do what you're doing right now i don't know why you're having i don't know what you're doing you seem crazy to me yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it, it, it's it's a thing like like i i don't know I, i'm for whatever reason i've i've turned into a very stiff person yeah. over the years yeah, you, um, you need to start wearing turtlenecks. I know. I, I I got the Macho Man shoulders. Like I got my shoulders boxed up around my ears. It's just how I am. But you know, more power to all the people who can experience yeah. this stuff to the fullest. Because you know, obviously, it means a lot to a lot of people. But um, you know, um, the good news about this month is it's just going to get better each week. Like the like it's it's just going to be a lot of fun the whole way. Yeah, are we going to do my pick uh, next week? Yeah. Or what's the, what's the order? Yeah, then? next week is uh. Little Shop of Horrors, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that that would be from the '80s, and uh, I think it's impossible that that movie was. I, I don't think there's a way that that movie could have been made without the existence of this movie. Hmm. Uh, so it's very it's very important that we did this one first, because uh, they do share some DNA, like not a hundred percent, but they do bear some similarities. That the 1950s like B movie aesthetic is very much. A borrowed element for fuck's sake that little shop of horrors was a actual b movie before it was adapted to a stage show and a musical hmm. um and then adapted to film again um the original one had jack nicholson in it by the way oh and, uh, interesting yeah yeah it was a roger corman movie um but uh yeah uh little shop of horrors is a, a personal favorite of mine and uh like kyle i'm not a huge fan of musicals i i just have like a handful that i i really enjoy and that's that is truly one of them i saw that when i was very young uh, so i'm very excited for that one and you have not seen it oh correct? i have not seen that okay so we're trading catching up so this, yeah. this is what the intended yeah. format for the show is yeah. supposed to be kyle. and the following week it's one i've seen that you haven't and then the final one is one neither one of us have seen that is a perfect fucking month. Right? Now. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Back on track. Back on track. Uh, yeah. So look forward to a little shop of horrors uh, next week. But uh, this week was uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, from 1975, directed by Jim Sharman, which is our first review for Kyle's Killer October, boy, boy, uh, the third boy. annual Kyle's Killer October. Uh, so uh, in the meantime, though, before we get to uh, the next week uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other catching up on cinema content you can find all of that located on our website at catching up on cinema.com uh, we also have a couple social media accounts in the form of a twitter at catching cinema as well as an instagram at catching up on cinema so feel free to reach out to me at either of those and the show is available on pretty much any podcasting platform you can imagine including cephalopod so fucking google that shit google it Uh, But that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.